Good evening, everybody. Mark Conway here with uh, the Living Nightmares podcast. Uh, we're going to have a fun one today. We're going to talk about some very interesting stuff, but um, I did want to say, um, uh, fortunately, David and Zach couldn't join us today. However, uh, we have uh, Mr. Vinny Prisco joining us today. Um, uh, uh, he has actually joined us before uh, for horror comedies, I believe. Um, and uh, we are very happy to have him back. And of course, my main man Brandon is here, um, as, as always. Yep. Hey. Uh, the, we're going to get that as a text tone. I hope you know it's going to happen, Brandon. That the, was Patterson. Hello. That was an hello. Yeah, exactly. Hello. But but it will happen. It will happen. Yes, yes, Brandon. It will. Brandon, what are we talking about today? No idea what we were just talking about there. No, I have no clue. Um. Anyway, what are we talking about today, Brandon? Uh. Vinny, what did you uh, choose for our topic today? Uh, oh, yeah, Vinny picked this. Well, uh, we're going to go with uh, something kind of odd and unique that some people hopefully have heard of. Some people have hopefully heard of. Some people might be new to it called Grindhouse Cinema. Um, and I think we're going to try to specifically keep this horror-emphasized Grindhouse because Grindhouse is very broad. Oh, yeah. It turns out <laughs> that it is that it is. Um, uh, Vinny sent me a couple recommendations. Uh, I was able to uh, scoop off one of them, and uh, uh, um, it was something. I, I think I deserve a medal after uh, sitting through that movie. Um, uh, I turned it off a couple times just to take a breather. It was terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. The entire movie was ADR. The entire movie. That's yeah. hilarious. I well, actually. Was yeah, like, was, right, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was the name of the movie. Yeah, um, yeah. With a lot of those Italian movies, um, and actually, they mentioned this in um, Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What they do is, if you if you're an Italian actor, you say your lines in Italian. If you're French, you say your lines in French. If you're American, you say your lines in English. French. You say, you say your lines whatever language you speak, and they do all the dialogue and everything in post-production. Which is really interesting because no one looked Italian in the movie. Um, uh, so they, they all looked pretty uh, generically white. Even if you're American, they don't record sound, so it's going to be dubbed anyway. Wow. Wow. Wow, that was that is that is. I just, did not know that. Wow, so that's a, that's a fun fact. But yeah, that, that that's what I got to watch. I got to watch uh, House by the Cemetery, uh, which was one of the recommendations because I knew absolutely jack shit about this particular genre. Uh, my, about the dubbing, uh, that's also why when you watch the uh, Man with No Name trilogy, Clint Eastwood dubs his own voice. Ah, uh, that, wow. is, that is that's a so good funny. piece of trivia. So the whole time Eastwood was dubbed in those, like yeah. I, obviously himself, but it was post-recorded. Wow, I did not know that. That is actually pretty cool. I'm glad I now know that. I know know that fact. The um, uh, but yeah, I, I um, uh, like I was half tempted to take notes while I was actually going through this. However, that being said, um, I really wanted my reactions to be very visceral. Um, visceral. Um, it was an interesting movie. Um, uh, I never, well, first of all, I clocked it. Um, you, you saw tits within 45 seconds of the movie starting. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. 45 seconds. like clockwork. I, I, I was like, as soon as I saw tits, I'm like, I, you know what? I got to look at the time and see how long it took. And I was like, mm, 45 seconds. That is interesting. Um, 
the crazy part about this is is that I relate this more to like the room. Um it has that very like the room feel to it. Um and like and I could almost imagine like audiences getting together um and like chanting shit at the screen like they did for the room. Especially sure. like like this kid, their kid who has the worst haircut ever, he should sue. Um uh, <laughs> worse than my haircut right now. Um and the uh and he just he was so such an, an annoying kid. Like I, I, I feel like if this became like a cult classic, like you would hear entire audiences like say, Shut the fuck up, Bob. By the way, they call this kid Bob. They don't call him Bobby or little Bob yeah. or Bobby Rooney. They call him fucking Bob. Like he's a forty three year old tax accountant. <laughs> makes they, you uh, wonder, makes you wonder if the Italian filmmakers were like, you know. Everybody call each other Bob. You know the name of Bob is an Bob is an amazing American name. You know an English name. I, I love it how Italian became like uh, like um, Middle Eastern, but that's cool. Yeah, um, that's that was totally accurate. I am Italian, so I can make fun of them. So it's, we'll just, it, it's okay. It's I'm gonna okay. establish that for the PC police out there listening to this, but they don't, <laughs> they don't listen to this. Don't worry. Um, and actually, if they did, we would get our view count up, um, uh, you know, quite a bit, which would be great. Um, but anyway, um, uh, by the way, okay, something about these parents, they have no fucking sense of urgency. Like, no. there's a scene in, in this movie where the kid's fucking missing, and they kind of just, like, look around. They're like, oh, I wonder, I wonder where he is. Like, like if, like, you lost your buddy at a concert, and you're like, I wonder, wonder where, wonder where Brandon went. I wonder where he went. That's, that's How weird. long did that go for, Mark? Um, it went for a solid 30 seconds, and they didn't even react until they looked across the street and saw him. And, like, and the funny thing is, like, it, like even in the 80s, parents would, would, would go, oh, my God, where's, where's Bob? Where, where'd he go? Oh, my God. They just, like, they just walked out. They're like, oh, that's weird. Oh, oh, he's across the street. Oh, that crazy Bob! Look at him. He's across the street playing with a with a fucked up doll that he says he got from an imaginary friend, even though that's fucking weird. And you just, just kind of kind of just shrug it off. They yell yeah. like, "What the fuck's the matter with these parents? They're yeah. terrible." And like it happens throughout the movie where they're just fucking useless. Like there's a scene. Like, I mean, you gotta the, pat out the runtime somehow, Mark. It, dude, I, you it's know it's a grindhouse staple. Dude, it, I. It's I, true. I I swear to God, like this movie, like I want—I never wanted a, in, so hard in a movie for people to die. Um, <laughs> like, so something would happen. Something would fucking happen. You know, it's interesting you say that because when I when I first got a hold of House by the Cemetery, I bought a a triple feature, um, Lucio Fulci, the film, like, and that's the filmmaker, the director of the movie. I bought a triple feature of his movies. Uh, really, really nice Blu-ray set. And it has that one, it has uh, City of the Living Dead, and then it has one that is kind of a separate one he made called The New York Ripper. Um, all of these, I thought House by the Cemetery was going to be like my favorite one. It sounded so cool, it looked so cool, and it ended up being my least favorite, actually, out of all of them. The I other can ones understand really why. Fun. I yeah, can understand was, why. Yeah, and that one seems to get the most reference, though. I, I I don't know why. It, 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 yeah. You know and, and also, too, like, I would, like, it, I think it would have been really fun had I been around you guys and we would have been ripping it. Um, but sure. I was by myself. There, You know, like, the interesting thing of it, about it was when there was ten, supposed to be tension in, in the movie, mm -hmm. I just felt either boredom or 
or that what the fuck feeling. I'm like, what the fuck's happening again? Where am I? What what universe is this? Definitely, the, it, dude. It, it just it, it just was a blow blow my mind, and nothing made sense. It also had there's a lot of shots of things that the film thinks is is important, but is not really important to me as an audience member because I don't really give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to know who the fuck edited this because I, I I was like Zach would have an aneurysm if he saw this fucking movie and how probably it yeah. Um, the well, uh, World of Grindhouse, Mark, which yeah. I mean, I will say, Zach's sick, which is why he's not here. But he oh. did, he and I did talk a little bit. It was there yesterday or the day before. There was a movie he, tr- excuse me, there was a movie he tried to watch, and he said he turned it off like five or ten minutes in. And I told him what I just told Mark. Welcome to the World of Grindhouse. These movies are not good. Right. They're not of the highest By definition, they are not good. And I was, do you want me to, and I was going to say with that, I could kind of throw in a little bit of just a briefer on what Grindhouse usually kind of includes. I have Um, one last, I have one last thing to say about this. I, 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 the, I cannot believe the level of pretension on the director or the editor's part to put a fucking quote at the end of the goddamn movie. Like, mm-hmm. like it was a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> that is, you know, like, like I, I felt like I was like, this is, must be the same director that directed that the one movie, the Jack O'Lantern movie, Brandon, that you showed me, where the producer and director were having Jacko. The, Jacko. They were having a fucking Jacko. fight. And 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 the and the and who it was the producer that was the was the cool guy, and the director was the biggest egotistical. A, a, a narcissist. I don't think it was egotistical. He was kind of um, pretentious. No, he was kind of um, he was sore about a few things, and he didn't care who knew it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I, 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 Brandon's nicer. I'm gonna go with pretentious. Um, he didn't know what kind of film he was making. Um, uh, the uh, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a masterclass work. Uh, it was a fun horror movie, and sometimes in life you should just right into that um and not think that you're making citizen kane and that's okay it's okay not to make citizen kane right. um the uh, it's okay to make a fun you know silly stupid horror movie where a bunch of people die and your audience has a good time that's, yeah, well, you know, I, so, I, I don't want to turn this into a whole conversation about the jacko dvd commentary <laughs> but you only watch those 10 minutes that are on youtube but I got the feeling that he knew he was making a fun horror movie, but I got the feeling too that he was mad that he wasn't given the resources he thought he should have had. Um, but there was one funny moment where um, they were talking that they had to make a prop cross. And I, I forget if they made it out of rubber or something else, but they actually made, they had the, 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 effects or prop department make this prop cross and the producer asks him why don't you just tie two sticks together and there's a short pause that that didn't occur to me at the time (laughs) oh my god um nothing quite like spending money for the sake of spending money yeah yeah the, Disaster uh, piece, man. The, the uh, <laughs> fuck you, man. This is America. <laughs> I want to spend money on stupid shit. <laughs> the, so, uh, 
But anyway, yeah, dude, Vinny, please explain a little bit of the, the history, if you would be so kind, sir. Yeah, just to give just like a little yeah, briefing. Um, yeah, it, so the Grindhouse name, a lot of people will recognize that title, Grindhouse. They're going to think of the Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino double feature that was released back in 07, yep. which was the whole, the double feature was billed as Grindhouse under two, over two movies, Rodriguez's uh, Planet Terror yep. and Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. And both of those movies were called that because they were throwbacks to what they called Grindhouse Cinema, which really, I think, got its name by the 70s, it seems like. So Grindhouse, or an action house, they say, is like it's an American term, of, uh, I guess, that we started um, for the movie palaces or theaters on 42nd Street that used to show these low-budget horror splatter or exploitation films for adults. And... Your your these movies like Brandon said, grindhouse movies are generally not good or at least not of the highest quality movies. They're extremely they, low budget. Um, the people yeah. in charge of them, not necessarily the directors, but the people who want the movies made. Um, there's an old saying, um, "I don't want it good. I want it Thursday." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, that's the kind of mentality that went into a lot of these movies. Oh but God. there were also filmmakers that tried to do what the best they could. Um, like there sure. were those who, yeah, they had the I don't want it good, I want it Thursday mentality. So it's like, who cares what it is? Just, could you see it? Yes. Can you hear it? Yes. All right, we're moving on to the next shot. Um, but then you did have others who did try to make a good movie with what they had. And it's like if it was like a sexploitation movie, as long as they had the nudity in it, they can do whatever else they want. So it's like they would try to make a good movie around that nudity. Um, if it was a gore picture, then, OK, as long as we have the blood, guts and violence, we can build whatever we want around that as long as we deliver what we promised we would deliver. Mm -hmm. So there were those. So, yeah, there were those who just saw it as a quick paycheck if even that and then there were those who tr tried to do something with the freedom they had sure and then yeah and then and then i think that that those movies also at least it seemed like I, I guess there were actually a lot of movies doing this in the 70s it seems like in grindhouse too some people you watch them sometimes especially a movie like a sexploitation movie or something you'll watch some of them and you might think wait is this like this has some pornographic material in it, or this seems to have that. Like a lot of times they weren't even rated. There was this whole, there was this whole like almost like uncertainty or thing with the rating system. It seems like that was happening at that time in the seventies. And yeah. they were pushing the envelope sometimes to see what they could get away with. I and think. a lot of these came like before the MPA rating system, as we know it now came into place. Um, I there. It's actually kind of funny because um, so there there there's a movie. Uh, my pick for my grindhouse movie today. Mm -hmm. I, we haven't gotten to that yet, but the director and producer of the movie that I'm choosing, um, before they got to this movie, they made what was what were called nudie cuties, which were basically just like right. movies that take place at nudist colonies. <laughs> and they have like the thinnest, barest resemblance 
of a plot if even that and it's really just an excuse to film naked people and those movies came about when the uh, censor board pretty much determined okay you can show nudity as long as you know you're not making actual porn as long as there's no like actual sex going on so it's you just have naked people walking around and that's what those were um and i'll kind of circle back to this story when we get to my pick as well um but they, must, really, have, they it, must have really made some money with that <laughs> yeah. and i mean it's naked people Vinny. there's always money to be made when you know like not around. having to spend any money on a big budget on on to film a story to do you don't have a costume department so yeah <laughs> well yeah that's that's true um uh the uh yeah that's wow i've, ne- I've never heard such a logical point about uh uh, a, a filming of a nudist colony in my life. Um, uh, One thing I will add, though, is that the name Grindhouse actually came from, I believe the term Grindhouse was already being used in the 40s. Yeah. I wow. And it, it came right. from, so pretty much there were theaters that weren't owned by the Hollywood studios. They could show whatever they want, and they just wanted whatever they can get. But a lot of those theaters were... Um, converted burlesque houses or you know the bump and grind dance houses shorten that grind house <laughs> nice the uh bump and grind yeah and, and and a bunch of them were you know films that were supported and financed by the mob as well like uh <laughs> like deep throat oh it was oh that yeah was it was by the mob. And, wow. and uh and also uh texas chainsaw massacre was was also uh Slightly financed by the mob as well. Oh my god! Um, uh, um, uh, that's uh, that was uh, Sonny Francis, uh, Michael oh. Fran- Francis's father. Oh my, that that put some money into Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a fun little uh, history lesson for you. The uh, but yeah, but dude, come on. Hey, but back to what I was going to say something while you while Brandon was talking when you said you know those nudie uh, yeah uh, nudie movies must have made a lot of. Nudie cuties. Nudie cuties. If if you if you leave this podcast with one new term for your vocabulary, make it. (laughs) Well, you know, especially if you're perverted like us, you know, there's that. That's definitely that. But yeah, dude, Vinny, like, come on, you you've seen plenty of horror movies in your life, dude. Like, it's it's the the violence and the sex that that gets you, bro. Well, and they said that butts in the seats. And they said that that's that was of course that's that's a trend you will notice in most grindhouse movies that categorize it as a grindhouse um, too is you will see an obscene amount maybe of nudity or maybe sex or gore. It's usually especially like the exploit. See, it's weird. This is where it gets weird is that grindhouse has actually become very. It can be very. How did you say it, uh, Brandon? You said it can be very broad or narrow. Yeah. Because like we were before we started recording, we were having a discussion because um, grindhouse movies, which it's only become a genre recently since the Tarantino Rodriguez movie. I mean, before right. that, grindhouse was just like a type of location, not a type of movie. Um, so I guess we can kind of say our topic today is grindhouse slash exploitation movies because um, we were debating because typically. Grindhouse movies are thought of as like the really low budget, poor quality movies. But then, as I was saying uh, to you guys, like in the black exploitation area, 
we do have Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. We do have Dolomite. We do have Petey Wheatstraw. We do have Trouble Man. We do have Three Tough Guys. Like, we have those really low-budget, independent black exploitation movies, which those are clearly Grindhouse movies because yeah. of their roots. But then you also have um, movies like Shaft and Superfly, which are clearly the bigger budget studio movies. So do we want to include those movies into Grindhouse? Because mm-hmm. uh, like, I, I think of um, Grindhouse typically as being rooted in that super low budget. Uh, yeah. In like five days. Um, Let's go with that one. I think, yeah. I, think, I think that one's a better, a better one because it's far more fun to talk about how ridiculous these are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, the, um, uh, cause it's, I'm sure we got plenty of selections to, to talk about of, of, you know, I, I, the, uh, how I need it done by Thursday may have either succeeded or severely backfired. Um, right. Well, so and- if we do include those studio ones, uh, and that does bring in shaft and even that's not a horror movie that, but if we do bring in shaft, uh, that movie did win an Oscar for uh, its song, and it was nominated for its score as well. So if you really want to extend it to that, wow. that means we have an Oscar-winning Grindhouse movie. Wow. Yeah, all right, fair <laughs> enough. But it's not a horror movie, so so we'll move on. No. Um, I, so, all I still right. want to talk about the other subgenres, because when else are we going to have an opportunity to do that? Yeah. That is a good point. That is a good point. I actually told my dad that we we're going to be doing this, and he and man, he fucking rolled his eyes. He's like, I told him, like, like, yeah, you know, like movies like Black Yellow and everything else. He's like, oh yeah. my god, that was yeah. almost my pick for today. Oh, that's a, yeah, that <laughs> actually be- technically the sequel was almost my pick, but uh, we'll circle back to that when we get Dude, to. Wh- what an interesting time in in like America when that was when out like in the seventies when when weird shit was just acceptable. Oh, oh yeah, the well, uh, all sorts of things that are that that were just yeah, in in the, especially in those movies again, they just they towed the line and they got away with some. To, to that disco era time, man, a lot yeah. of people, a lot of a lot, lot of cocaine, a lot of psychedelics, a lot of speed, mm-hmm. a lot of drugs, a lot of drugs. Yeah. So anyway, Brennan, um, uh, let's let's uh, hit it up with uh, your uh, pick of the of the podcast. Yeah, Brennan, what do you got? All right. So, I mean, like I said, my original pick was going to be Scream, Blackula, Scream. <laughs> the sequel to Blackula. Um, I need to watch both of these. God. Uh, it's been a few years since I've seen them, so I did want to rewatch them today as a refresher. Um, but, and, and, you know, because it's been a few years, I don't want to just jump into stream black and scream. I want to watch the first one first, which to be honest, the first one is an A plus performance by William Marshall and like a C C plus movie. Um, not the greatest movie, but his performance is great, uh, to the point where I think he should have both been nominated and won the Oscar for best actor that year. Oh, wow. And now somebody is going to look up what year that was and tell me, Brandon, you're out of your mind. Um, especially with the two people I'm talking to right now. Mark, I'm just going to save you the trouble Googling it. Uh, Marlon Brando in The Godfather uh, was the one. I had a feeling, you son of a bitch. 
<laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I think what's astounding about that, Brandon, is you know that's the year he also declined his fucking Oscar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. The, um, what was it? The Village of Wooden Knee. Um, uh, man, that was crazy. Like, he, he had that girl, yeah, go up there and, and she oh my God, declined I it for him in defense of the treatment and depiction of Native Americans, specifically in cinema over the years. Dude, it's so hilarious, dude, like, and how, and how much that was, like, a bad thing back then. But if that shit was pulled today, um, he would have got a, a humanitarian award. Oh, yeah, yeah, he would have gotten the Nobel Peace Prize instead the next day or some the, shit. Um, uh, dude, he was probably, like, half into some Haagen-Dazs. Uh, um, probably. Didn't, and didn't want to fucking go. Like, he's like, <laughs> I'm busy eating. He, he was too busy and, accepting a delivery of 500 Big Macs to his private island. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The island of Dr. Moreau. Um, uh, <laughs> well, well, you know, it turns out that I cannot accept uh, this award because, uh, well, because you can all kiss my ass. That's why. Now pass me, pass me the Doritos, as uh, Kevin Spacey's imitation outside or whatever. Oh my God, that's amazing. Uh, you, know, you know, hey, leave me alone. I, I have to go eat some Doritos and watch my son go on trial for murder. Let, let me go on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, so I was watching that club, and it was actually a pretty big box office hit. The sequel, not so much, but the first one was a hit, and I'm watching it, and even though it's only just an average movie, I get about 15, 20 minutes into it, and I think to myself, this movie is too good for the purposes of what we're talking about today. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. Well, uh, Blackula, really? I I do like it, and but like I said, the, the sequel I do think is much better. You get Pam Greer in there as well. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. She was yeah, it's, okay. it's a good movie. Um, and actually, an another piece of history with Blackula that was actually the first movie to win the Saturn Award for best horror movie. Wow. Oh, oh, very cool. It's a little bit of awards trivia there for you. Yeah. Um. And then, so, yeah, I finished watching Blackula, and I'm probably going to watch the sequel in the next couple days. And then I thought, okay, I started looking at the uh, fake trailers in the Grindhouse movie. You have the ones made by Rob Zombie, Edgar Wright, and Eli Roth. And I'm kind of thinking about what influenced those trailers, because, you know, if you are going to look into Grindhouse movies, looking into the influences of the right. Grindhouse movie as a whole is a good starting point. And at the end of Edgar Wright's trailer, there's a little subtitle that says based on the best-selling novel or something like that, or based on the chilling bestseller, which he stole from the trailer of a movie called The Sentinel, mm -hmm. which has a really insane cast. You have Jeff Goldblum in there, Christopher Walken in there, uh, a lot yeah. of Oh. And the universe didn't end with Jeff Goldblum and Chris Walken sharing the screen. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I, I'm looking at the cast for it, and it was directed by Michael Winner, who, uh, let's just say there are some stories about him out there. Um, he, he did the first three Death Wish movies, and, and The Sentinel was made... The Sentinel was the movie that 
I was going to watch, but that was made after Death Wish. And again, I thought maybe this is maybe a little too mainstream for what we're talking about today. And so then I finally landed on the Herschel Gordon Lewis masterpiece, Blood Feast. All right. Which is actually very historically significant, apparently. It is. Um, Yeah, so... Yeah, so like I said, he and his producer, they used to make nudie cutie movies, but then they realized everybody is making these right now. Everybody. The market is too oversaturated. It's going to get to the point where we're not going to make any money. So then Herschel was trying to think, okay, what isn't being made? I want to make the movies that the big studios either can't make or they won't make. And then, as he put it, this marvelous four-letter word came to mind, gore. There you go. So Blood Feast is actually considered to be the first splatter picture, as he puts it. Um, Wow. Yeah, just blood everywhere. Um, The effects aren't that good because this predates all the prosthetic effects that we have now um it was shot in only like a week maybe two weeks um he was both the director and cinematographer for it he did the score for it um there are a lot of interesting stories that i learned from the uh commentary which i'll share some of them in a few um but yeah so it is considered the first splatter picture and it's not very good. <laughs> um, it's only an hour and seven minutes long, but it is a long hour and seven minutes. Wow. Um, <laughs> I know the feeling. Damn. Yeah. Um, it's probably most famous for the tongue scene where pretty much the killer rips a woman's tongue out of her mouth. Um, Yeah, and how they cast the actress for that one was the producer went to the Playboy Mansion in search for a girl with a big mouth. (gasps) Nice. (laughs) And so he cast a soon-to-be playmate in that year's June issue for the woman to get her tongue ripped out. And that poor woman, she, pretty much in in the movie, she had this guy just like shoving his hands down her mouth. Jesus. And I'm just like, this is gross. Dude, thus beginning the tradition. Probably not oh. for the reasons why it was considered gross back then, but <laughs> yeah. Thus beginning the tradition of beautiful women getting brutally murdered in horror movies. Yeah, um, I guess they, so. Yeah, and actually, dude, just to give you some perspective, like, or just the audience to give some perspective, the best movies in 1963 were The Great Escape, The Pink Panther, uh, um, uh, the um, The Birds, uh, and then, and yeah, and then The Nutty Professor came out in 1963. 
So that's what, like Tom Jones. A lot of people don't think that one aged very well, but I still like it. No, I know. I, I, the, but the point I was trying to make of it, of what these people were doing and what the rest of the world was doing in 1963 <laughs> are completely yeah. fucking different. Like a horror movie in 1963 was The Birds, was Hitchcock's The Birds. That was a thriller or whatever the case may be. And then also The Haunting came out at that same yeah. time as well. That's a phenomenal movie. Uh, no, I, I hear you, but like, but like, that's what America thought horror movies were in 1963, and these sure. guys were ripping people's tongues out, which wouldn't be acceptable until the early 80s, yeah. if not ever. Um, how about I share some stories from the commentary? Because as bad as the movie was, oh, I started sure. the commentary, and I was fascinated by it. Oh, please do it. Please do it. Sure. Um, it turned a slow hour and seven minutes into actually a very quick hour and seven minutes. Oh, that's good. More entertaining. Um, so as I said, uh, they decided to make a gore, a gory movie. Um, there is no nudity in it. There is no obscene language in it. And that's how they got around the censors, because since they were the first... There is no censorship in place for gore yet. God. <laughs> nice. Dude, dude, they probably created it because of this movie. Dude, they're like, they're oh, like, yes. dude, yes. they're like, dude, hold on real quick, dude, before you do the commentary, you know, like, um, they're like Richard Pryor in fucking SNL. Richard Pryor created the 10 second delay for live television. Because of his, they didn't want to put him on SNL, but because he was so talented, uh, uh, Laura Michaels went to NBC and said, hey, listen, what we'll do is I know it's live, but we'll put a five second delay or a 10 second delay or whatever. If he says something obscene, we'll go ahead and, and, and you know, and beep it out. So he was actually the guy who they invented the 10 second delay for live television. So these okay. guys, these guys were the first guys for the ratings board to say, mm, maybe we should do something about that. Yeah. yeah. Actually, there was a newspaper that refused to run the <coughs> that refused to run the ad for their movie, saying they won't take any titles with the word "blood" in it. Which wow. a few years later, that caused some problems for Truman Capo Truman Capote's *In Cold Blood*, which is considered one of the great true crime novels now. Uh -huh. um, so. Disaster! Wow. Yeah. Um, the actor who they had to play the uh, police captain, he was actually originally hired to just kind of be an all-around crew member, mainly a grip, but they cast him because the actor that they originally had didn't show up. And since he wasn't really an actor, the direction they gave him was just shout your lines. <laughs> I wonder how that worked out. Oh, uh, and he also had a hat, and sometimes he wore the hat, sometimes he didn't, by which I mean he would enter a scene not wearing a hat, and then all of a sudden he'll be wearing it. The disappearing, reappearing hat. Oh, my God. They could have made that a subplot. Um, <laughs> where, did the, where did the hat go? Where did the hat go? Yeah, like, this is, like, minimal crew. Like I said, Horschel Gordon Lewis was both the cameraman and the director for it. Uh, their lighting setup was two lights, a flashlight, and they also used car headlights for night scenes if they needed it. Um, and they're, of course, like, fade to blacks okay. within the movie. 
and and these days you can just do that easily on a computer. Um, back then, you know, you had to have that process at the lab. So to save money, they just closed down the iris on the camera lens. So they did all the blacks <laughs> in camera, saving them $75 each time they did that. Hey, Brandon, why don't you tell the people how hard it is to be the director and the DP at the same time and make anything of quality? Oh, my God. It's not impossible. But is it? I imagine it's pretty it difficult. It's more difficult, yes. Okay. It's not impossible. All right, fair enough. Fair I look enough. at Steven Soderbergh. Like, he DPs like the majority of his movies now. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair since enough. like I think Ocean's Eleven was his first one that he did that for. Yeah, okay. Fair Maybe enough. Traffic might have been Traffic. Fair enough. Fair Maybe enough. Maybe before that. Fair enough. Um, I'm not. I'm not gonna look it up right now. But he's been <laughs> for well over 20 years at this point. Fair enough. Um, and of course, Robert Rodriguez is another one. Ah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so. Tarantino also directed and DP Death Proof as well. Oh, okay. So maybe it isn't that hard. Um, oh, it's the, hard. Don't but, get me wrong. It, it is hard, um, but it's not the impossible task that a lot of people make you believe it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, all right, continue with commentary. Uh, I want to hear oh, yeah. more. Cruise yeah, versus small. That, Mark, you're going to love this. Actors would often have to slate their own scenes. Oh, God. I'm dying on the inside. Good. The uh, uh, no, it, no, it's not good, Brandon. Actors should not have to slate their own scenes, especially when the goddamn fucking sound person has fallen asleep because they were doing drugs the night before. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> you can see I can't, haven't got quite quite got over that last experience. Okay, I and mean, that sounds like something you should be telling your therapist, not me. <laughs> but, all right, this um, is therapy. <laughs> uh, uh, Mark leads hard knock life, you know. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I have to act in my own film and slate myself. This is ridiculous. Bullshit. I'm going, I'm, uh, bullshit. I'm going to my trailer. I'm going to break away from the commentary stories for a moment because I just realized I didn't talk about what this movie is actually about. <laughs> oh, it has a plot. Okay. Um, sure. Uh, so basically, there's a killer going around killing women for like this Egyptian ritual. And at the same time, there's this woman that is going to throw a party for her daughter and the caterer she gets is the killer. Oh, uh, uh, what a twist. So yeah, get, I guess it's like, okay. you get a lot of scenes throughout the movie where it's like the daughter's talking to her friends or the woman's talking to her daughter or the woman's talking to other people. And the conversations are just kind of like, I can't wait for the party on this day. It is going to be fun. What is the theme going to be? Oh, I can't tell you. Oh, I think it's going to be Egyptian. Oh, what a coincidence. My daughter is studying Egyptian gods and culture right now. At her <laughs> I can't wait for the party. Say, speaking of which, I am scared right now because there is a killer out and they have not found him yet. Do you think they have any clues as to who it is? Hey, Brandon, what's your famous line? I have a lot of them. Someone wrote that. Right, yeah, somebody did write someone that. Someone wrote that. <laughs> um, someone wrote that. You know what's something funny, though? Like, when you were, when you said, uh, we said, uh, you know, here's what this is about, and it's like, it's a killer running around killing people. And my first thought was, well, no shit. But actually, it was one of the first ones to do that. So 
I guess it really wasn't a common thing. And he's, and he's doing it to do like an Egyptian ritual. And I will say there's a 1980s movie called Blood Diner, which was kind of conceived as like a pseudo mock sequel to it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Watch Blood Diner. Blood Diner is, a, Blood Diner is actually a very good movie. Um, it, is it officially a sequel? To, to, no, to... it's not officially a sequel, but you could watch it as a sequel. Oh, that's kind of like how you can watch Young Frankenstein as a sequel to Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Son of Frankenstein. In a sense, yeah, you can. I guess so. That's actually a good point. Technically, you could. But yeah, I wanted to mention the plot because, and this has nothing to do with the commentary, but early in the movie, like maybe five minutes in, you see a newspaper and it's got this huge headline, Teenage Girl Found Slaughtered. (laughs) <laughs> Below that in huge letters, legs cut off, all capitals with an exclamation point. But my favorite part of the newspaper, and I don't know how clear this was back in the old prints in the early 60s, but now with high def Blu-ray quality remastered picture, um, you can see a smaller headline for a smaller article. And the headline is, 12 prisoners beat me up, Nazi charges. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and that, that was very amusing to me for some reason. Because in one, like on the front page of this newspaper, you have both slaughtered teenage girl and 12 prisoners beat up a Nazi. Sure. It's funny. Okay. <laughs> um, I kind of wish that was our movie, but All right. Um, and see, I already talked about the tongue scene. Uh, there's a scene that takes place at a beach of like a girl with her boyfriend, and they talked about how uh, the girl, the actress, got her hair all done, like all nice and everything. When you know the scene was her brain was gonna get ripped out, so she had all this blood makeup ending up on her head, on the top of her head. Um, but also while they were filming that scene. Uh, one of the crew members accidentally opened up one of the film cans after filming. And Herschel Gore and Lewis just like, without even thinking, just reacted and closed it like a second later. And they're like, okay, that's not good. That's not good. Um, we don't have any money. So we're just going to risk it and see what the lab comes back. And Thankfully, it was so dark at that beach that it got no exposure, so all the footage ended up being usable. Wow. Stupid behavior of stupid people. There were, however, times where the lab would call them and sometimes and say, so this shot broke apart. Um, yeah, so there was like, okay, do we have a- another take to cover that? Um... <laughs> They told their actors that the fake blood was edible because oh. there were because to- like in the tongue scene, oh, like the tongue scene ends with the actress like laying down, her head tilts over, and blood's just pouring out of her mouth. So they needed the actors to put blood in their mouth. So yeah, the what blood was, was not edible. <laughs> what was it made out of? Um, they did say what it was, but when they said it, they were kind of, I, I think they might've turned their head away from the microphone. I couldn't Damn. quite hear what they said it was made of. So what a coincidence. But if you do get the blood feast, Blu-ray or DVD from arrow, 
listen to the commentary and maybe you have better ears than I do and you can find out what it was made of. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, so when they finally finished it, um, they were talking about the release and they knew this person in Chicago who own, owned a chain of theaters and he was just like, okay, we have this movie. We know nobody else has made anything like it. What do we do with it? And they asked him, can we release in one of your Chicago theaters? And he said, I don't think that should be your opening theater because if it flops, it's a big Chicago theater. Everybody in the business is going to know it's a flop. So go start smaller than Chicago. And they're like, okay, what about this place? And he's like, no, that's too close to Chicago. I'll tell you what, I have a drive-in in Peoria. We can open there. <laughs> and so the, the movie opens in Peoria at a drive-in. And so uh, Lewis and his producer, um, I can't, I think it's like the night of or the night after it premiered, they, they say to themselves, they're, we're going to go see this thing. We want to see it with an audience. And so they're heading there. And traffic there is just backed up. And they're thinking, was there an accident? Is this going to keep people from seeing our movie? Turns out that was people going to see the movie because of the word of mouth caused wow. by, you need to see what is in this movie. <laughs> like, I, I think when they made this, everybody underestimated just how messed up people actually are in their heads. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, and there was actually a cop who was like navigating traffic and one of them, I can't remember if it was Lewis or his producer, talked to the cop and the cop was like, you mean to tell me this is your movie? Yes. Don't do this to me again. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, thus, yeah. th thus the tradition of horror movies was born. Yes. And so, yeah, all the drive-ins, when, when the movie did finally open up more, all the drive-ins kept all the gore in, but, like, indoor movie theaters would cut all the gore out. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you got something. You got that would have been a bland movie. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would have been painful. Um, but then there was another drive-in that the, um, the distributor accidentally sent them a duplicate of reel five in place of the final reel. So basically the reels for that drive-in went one, two, three, four, five, six, five. So they had a duplicate reel, no ending. And when they were on the phone with the owner of that theater, they asked, well, did you have any drive outs? Just one. So even with no ending and a duplicate reel, that theater still sold tickets. Wow. Um, so yeah, they had a lot of word of mouth. Um, like I mentioned before, censorship was starting to talk about, okay, what are we going to do about blood and guts and gore and all that? Cause we've never had to deal with this before. And so realizing that this is kind of a way for them to advertise their movie, uh, they kind of caused some trouble for their, for themselves in Sarasota. So to create buzz, they actually filed an injunction to keep the movie from being played. And they thought it would just like be thrown out or whatever. And, but 
it would hit the newsstands. And so people want to see what is this movie that got an injunction against it. But the injunction went through. So the movie wasn't allowed to play in Sarasota. So they kind of oh did it themselves. Well, you know what, though? Just, just think about this, though. Like, um, nope. Uh, again, going back to what the movies of the day were in 1963. I mean, you were still dealing. Yeah, like um, Kennedy had just got killed. But. Right. Adult, you know, it just got killed, which probably exacerbated the people's lust for violence. Um, but Vietnam had not happened yet, so nobody was burnt out on it. And the movies of the day were, you know, it, it were nothing compared to what they were seeing. So it, it was like seeing, like, uh, you know, Bigfoot ride a fucking unicorn in your damn front lawn. Like, it, yeah. it, it, like people wanted to see crazy shit because they had never seen crazy shit, except, like, cops and people who were at war. Like, yeah. The... yeah. Yeah. And even then, there Please. wasn't. Uh oh, Mark froze or something. I think we might have lost Mark. He's right, though. I mean, there was a number of. There was a number of uh, these movies that were. Um, there were a number of these movies back then that just didn't. I mean, some had violence, but yeah, they did not show the level of gruesomeness or anything for that matter. Um, so this movie was very, this movie must have been like worse than us watching even like a snuff film in this day and age. I mean, like, must have been the worst damn thing possible yeah. for them to see and, and, and a person getting just so bad. Yeah. And we're back after some technical difficulties, but if you're listening to us, Hopefully, you won't even notice. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. That was uh, how good of an editor Zach is in this situation. Well, yeah, the uh, um, uh, I'm sure he loves uh, editing. Thinks he's not involved in um, uh, the. Uh, so yeah, um, uh, Bigfoot riding a unicorn in your front yard. I think that catches me up. Um, hope I didn't miss too much stuff on your end. But yeah, people were thirsty for it. Yeah, they they wanted to see it. Um. But yeah, and also in the commentary, Lewis did discuss how like sometimes they would shoot scenes specifically for the trailer, because um, like studio trailers are just like, okay, here's some scenes, here's maybe a little voiceover about what it's about, here's a graphic of the title and maybe actors' names. Whereas the exploiteers saw trailers as like an art form all of its own. <laughs> um, and in fact, we've actually gotten some great directors coming from cutting trailers like Joe Dante originally cut trailers for Roger Corman movies. Nice. Um, that's a little bit of trivia right there. Um, but yeah, they also did talk about how sometimes when they do shoot scenes specifically for the trailer, that could cause like some controversy among collectors of old film reels of movies. Cause like, here's this trailer with this scene, but the scene's not in the movie. So do I have an incomplete movie or not? Hmm. Um, so yeah, um, um, already covered that, already covered that. Okay, I don't have that many stories left for Blood Feast, but there's one where the killer puts a leg in an oven, all right? <laughs> On set, they put the fake leg in the oven, the fake leg catches fire, <laughs> A crew member takes it outside, throws it in the street, and then throws what he thought was water on it. It was gasoline. Oh, no. 
So the, he had gasoline lying around for some reason. Yeah, how do you confuse fucking water and gasoline? Those should not be in the same container. <laughs> that is no excuse. Even back then, they were in different containers. The uh, I know, like if it was like if if it was a confusion between vodka and water in the sixties, that I would perfectly understand. Right. Like that right. is a very easy uh, mix-up back in the sixties. Yeah, but gasoline, but gasoline and water. I don't doesn't, know about that. Doesn't even gasoline have like a slight yellowish tinge to it? You know, that's, I, 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 the uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what that guy's excuse would have been. I, I don't know how he got it mixed up, but he got it mixed up and melted the street in the shape of a leg. And in true filmmaker philosophy, their mentality on it was, let's get out of here. <laughs> Because, you well, know, they bit. don't film with permits or anything. You got to say, uh, the old, we don't have a permit. Run. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Can you imagine being that dispatcher and getting that fucking phone call in the middle of the afternoon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, 911, what is your emergency? Um, somebody threw a leg that was on fire in the middle of the street and then poured gasoline on it and then blew it up and then filmed it. I'm sorry. You want to say? You want to? You want to? You want to say that again? The. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, they they had a very, they had the mentality of sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Sure. If you ask for permission, you have a fifty percent chance of them saying no, and a fifty percent chance of them saying when do I get paid. Uh, <laughs> there I was think... actually a an interview with Fred Williamson. I think it was on the set of Black Caesar. It was a Larry Cohen movie. Uh, but they were filming and a cop actually came up and came up to Fred Williamson, the actor, and said, are you making a movie? Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to ask if you're making a movie, but you are making a movie, so I'm just going to do my rounds, be gone in 15 minutes. So he didn't even stop them. It was like, I don't want to make a big deal out of this. Just be gone before I'm back. The uh, gotta gotta love those kind of cops, uh, the ones yeah. who just don't want to deal with the paperwork. Yeah. Um, oh god. And I already told the drive-in story, and yeah, the, I guess the last thing that they said about Blood Feast was, it's like the it's like a Walt Whitman poem. <laughs> it's not good, but it was the first of its kind. All sure. right. Sure. Yeah, mouse cartoons weren't good. They were just first. Good. Yeah. Point. Yeah, that's a good point. The uh, you know, that is a good point. Yeah. It, you know, it depends. It depends. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds like fun. It sounds like you had more fun than I did, um, uh, watching mine. Doesn't it? The, it does. Um, although you know what, yeah. I, I I won't say that I didn't did not have fun because I did laugh a lot. Uh, I think once I, you know, loosened up a little bit and uh, didn't take it, you know, uh, you know, too seriously, the um, uh, I think I had some fun. I did laugh. I did laugh. There were there were plenty of funny moments. Um, uh, I just I wish that those people weren't such terrible parents. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the you know, another uh, funny question I have about with House by the Cemetery, something about it, too, is the look of the undead or the zombie like character that's in the basement of this house. I always watched that character and wondered where the fuck is his mouth. I I have no idea. I, like I I have so many questions. 
I, dude, I want, dude, dude, character. I, I want to know what the. I don't know what I want to know what the fuck happened at the end when a kid came out and then went with the older. I like. Yeah. I guess it was supposed to be a metaphor or something. I, I don't. I guess that, I, that, I don't like, know what you guys are talking about, dude. It's dude. Like wait, like dude. If you, I, I can't wait. You need to watch this movie with Zach, and yeah. all you're gonna and all you're gonna hear from Zach is, what? That's what? That's really stupid. What? Who talks like that? Who the talks uh, that's the uh, who talks like the people in Blood Feast? That's actually. That's... Do you want to know what the dialogue in Blood Feast reminded me of? What? Have you ever seen the Greasy Strangler? No. No. What is oh. this? Um, it's a movie produced by Elijah Wood. <laughs> um, oh, there's okay. a, there's all you need to know. That's that alone makes me interested now. I, I'm trying to think how to explain this movie to somebody who do you even know what it is? Or have you just not seen it? I, I don't know. I've never heard yeah, of it. So you have no idea what it even okay. How no. how do how do I describe this to the uninitiated? So basically I could Google it a little bit or something too for you, but there's like a fifty year old man who still lives with his father. And they do walking tours around Los Angeles for famous disco-related locations. <laughs> Meanwhile, the son falls in love with a woman, and the father is trying to steal her away from him. And also, the father is a serial killer going around town called the Greasy Strangler. Mm. And he's called the Greasy Strangler because when he goes out to kill... He is completely naked and covers himself in grease. Ew. That just made oh. it even more. <laughs> okay. That makes this even more like vivid in my, I can um, just imagine what the visuals are for this one. But yeah. So, but yeah, the, the way the dialogue is performed in that movie, I was watching blood feast. Sam just like, this is like greasy strangler. Cause they talk like this and they always repeat things like, um, I want a hot dog, dip it in grease, but I cannot dip the hot dog in grease. I will lose my job, but I want my hot dog in grease, but sir, I cannot dip your hot dog in grease. It's like that. Like I was mentioning earlier, it's like, Oh, I can't wait for this party. What is the party theme going to be like? Hey, did you know there is a killer around? That's weird. Yeah, yeah dude. Um, uh, House by the Cemetery is is somewhere in between that and the room. Um, uh, it, it, it's it's a whole lot of fun. The um, uh, oh, it is. Yeah. The uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> the uh, I just remember like that one scene at towards the end when the kid is like banging on on the basement door trying to get out of the basement. And like, and all I can think think of, I was like, "Kid, your mom's not coming. She, you know, she's she's sleeping with Valium tonight. She's just <laughs> high on fucking pill, on pills the entire movie, and her husband keeps telling her to to you know to take some pills, honey. Why don't you take some pills? Like, I don't want to, but you should really take some pills because you're kind of fucking crazy. The um, uh, drug you again, you know? The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, <laughs> well, you remember how Bob was born. Um, <laughs> that's you know, awful. he got his name. The uh, yeah, oh, <laughs> shots, <laughs> shots fired, dude. Like, like, and even like the like the like. Okay, so how the babysitter died, which by the way, never understood. I'm just gonna get into some spoilers. Like, apparently, like the babysitter's a mannequin, but 
but like like there's a whole scene in that movie where 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 the little girl is looking at a mannequin and then she comes to life i guess and then her head falls off and then later in the movie you meet a babysitter for bob and it flashes back to the mannequin so i guess i'm supposed to infer that this is in fact the mannequin come to life and how she died she gets slashed in the throat by the knife but the knife and how it's coming down is so slow like it would the the amount of force that that this knife is providing would not cut her at all <laughs> um I, the like there's no momentum to her it's it's like it's like um if you were trying to like give me a shave or something and like they're like oh i don't want to i don't want to nick you um but you know just enough for the fake blood to work um uh, the uh, and the dad i have no idea how the fucking dad is the dad stabs the killer he starts bleeding out and he looks like like fucking oogie boogie man from nightmare before christmas like blood bugs start falling out of him and then he just fucking stands there he doesn't stab him again he just stands there and looks at him and like there's a 10 second delay of back and forth and then the killer grabs his neck and then kind of slowly rips skin off of him which makes no fucking sense at all um uh, you know and, and i all i could think of was like stab him stab him again but he did not he got killed um and then the mom gets killed and gets smacked down the stairs and That's you can right. and you can literally see her like as she getting dragged down the stairs um moving her own head to appear that she's actually banging each step on the way down. Oh, that's fucking funny. The um, <laughs> dude. Yeah, I'm looking at screenshots on I <clears throat> on IMDb, and I see a woman getting stabbed in the back of her head. Yeah, yeah, that was the first scene. That's that's the that? forty. Yeah. That's the forty five seconds worth of tits, and that's probably the best kill in the whole movie. Um, uh, the uh, and the the one that I actually decently enjoyed. Um, uh, yeah, it's the downhill from there. It was all downhill from there. And man, holy hell, the, the last thing I'll say about it, is, or well, until I feel like talking about it again, um, uh, is holy hell, non-licensed music nightmare that is. It has the most ridiculous non-licensed music I have ever heard in my life. Um, Brandon, if you can find it somewhere on YouTube and play it as a little interim into the podcast, um, uh, if you can, cool. If you can't, that's cool too. But it, 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 it's something else. And it really is. You know, he actually usually had, like, a lot of those Italian-made movies like that, especially Grindhouse movies. And I think that's a, another thing I didn't even think about to mention is score-wise. A lot of them have these really unique or beautiful, actually, scores. Not Maybe this not one. this one, but some of the other ones do. Or they have, like, a very unique sound to them, um, even kind of similar to, like, Spaghetti Western kind yeah. of music and some of them just have totally inappropriate music for their subject matter like there's nightmare city which is an italian zombie movie mm -hmm. where the zombies have guns it's basically part of the inspiration for planet terror and the music for that one is like a disco beat like you want to boogie to it <laughs> dude brandon this this one had like a seinfeld beat <laughs> oh wow like, 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 you know, like, I almost was like waiting for like the wow, 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 and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, dude, this is ser this is seriously fucking weird. The so uh, saying that we should pitch the idea for a sitcom that's like Seinfeld but with zombies. 
Uh, yes, because that's always a good idea. The um, uh, the uh, and now I have a hard on. Um, <laughs> sorry, joke from before the podcast. Um, I the uh, way to take people out of context, Mark. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> um, uh, that's more than people need. Real life know. bleeds into your podcast life. Yeah, it's for real. Um, uh, I've I've been trapped <laughs> in this house for too long. The uh, this fucking pandemic. Anyway, um, Vinny, talk about yeah. Um, unless you still want to talk about uh, um, uh, cemetery by the house or house by the cemetery, um, if you got any other commentary about it, please. But if not, I'd love to hear your selection of the podcast. Um, I'll go into my selection. Uh, it's it's a um. Yeah, Vinny's like I'm done talking about that. Well, I mean, I, I like. <laughs> I mean, it's it, house by the cemetery. I almost need to like rewatch it again. But yeah, I remember just feeling maybe i didn't i definitely didn't hate it the way you hated it mark but i definitely just remember coming out of it relatively disappointed relatively just like i feel like i was lied to about this movie <laughs> i i can i can see how that happens the yeah. um, I, you know what dude i i don't like i, I it was one of those things i was like i was expecting like funny bad but for the most part it was just bad bad like oh, bad, yeah. bad 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 yeah. bizarre What's up? As most grindhouse movies are. Yeah, As, there's a lot of like, yeah, it's. it's I've now I've now learned the facts of life with ground uh, with uh, grindhouse films. You know, it is what it is. Just shoot yeah. everything in a wide shot. Shoot we have it. one yeah. microphone. Wow. Yeah. Now that now that you bring that up, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The uh, and uh, and just have uh, creepy, annoying kids. The um, I I'm really hoping that tradition <laughs> charts. The end by name Bob. Dude, I'm really hoping that tradition starts. They start showing that. And then every time Bob says something annoying, everybody's like, shut the fuck up, Bob. Because that's what I said <laughs> the entire film. The uh, Anytime that kid said something, I'm like, shut the fuck up, Bob. The uh, I was like, I'm just going to treat him like Meg from Family Guy. The uh, That's how I'm going to handle that. And both the, names do have three letters. Ah, there we go. There we go. The uh, Brandon's well, uh, got a little Riddler action. Anyway, go ahead, Finney. Well, the move. Well, so I was I was kind of in between. There's because there's several I've seen of these movies for uh, a long time. One little thing to add. I'm not. This isn't my selection, but I did recently. It's funny Brandon mentioned Herschel Gordon Lewis because I recently watched uh, 2000 Maniacs, which is a film by him as well. Yep. Um, Herschel Gordon Lewis made this movie and it actually, it's weird. It, it's almost like they tried, I don't know if they were making it as a sequel or an homage or just a straight up remake. It's almost like a reimagining. There's a re pseudo remake reimagining called 2001 Maniacs with Robert England um, that was done in the early 2000s. So How the creative. movie... Yeah, you know, but that one was actually all right, but it's ridiculous, but it's all right. But in 2000 Maniacs, I, you can tell it's funny. They were going for, they had at least developed a little more story. Um, and in this one, it was about a um, group of random people that wind up stranded in this southern town that you find out. And uh, is run by these crazy southerner hillbilly types, and they want to basically slaughter all of them and do this twisted stuff to them during their yearly festival. But then you come to find out the big twist is this is a town that was burnt to the ground during the civil war. When the, when the union was coming down to just decimate the South. So there's actually some thought behind this. It's like, apparently 
not only are these people seeking revenge for that, I think it's that they're actually ghosts. They're actually the the spirit remnants of this town trying to uh, trying to inflict vengeance once a year on some unsuspecting northerners. It's got some. Um, hell, it's got some hills have eyes. Uh, yeah. To do it. I'm, yeah. I feel. I'm feeling some hills have eyes um, uh, um, vibes from it. Yeah. Uh, I have seen that one. It's in the same Blu-ray box set that Blood Feast was in. Okay. Yeah, Arrow did this huge Herschel Gordon Lewis box set back in 2016. Oh, that nice. Came okay. out. It came out either right before or right after his death. But regardless, he was able to record like all the commentaries and introductions for it before he passed away. Um, I unfortunately don't. I unfortunately did not get the super limited edition that had like a dismembered toy eye come with it and ah. other stuff like that sold out fast oh. and the pre-order went up back when I was working night shift. And so when the pre-order link went up, I didn't realize I didn't set my alarm. So I missed out on that pretty fast. So unfortunately, so. Hey, hey and, and, and guys, fun fact, um, uh, connecting the movies, um, uh, Connie Mason was, was in uh, 2000 maniacs. Uh, and she was also a uh, Playboy uh, playmate. Okay, that makes sense now. That because I read that. I do remember reading that about this movie. Because I actually, I, I wondered if anybody was well known in this movie, and I figured probably not. But there were a couple almost familiar sounding voices and faces. But I guess she was the only. She was one of the few of any notoriety, and I was just like never heard of her. So you you never know because I mean. There's an early short film that Herschel Gordon Lewis directed that apparently co-stars Harvey Corman. Oh my God. Yeah. How weird. It's somewhere, I guess it's somewhere on the box set. I just haven't found which oh. disc it's on. Search um, that. Yeah. So yeah. So for my for my actual pick though, to get just to get to it, my actual pick, and like I said, I even kind of asked about it and I, from everything I've researched, from everything I've read, and from all the feelings I get from it, it is technically, I think, a grindhouse or what I personally would consider a grindhouse movie, but it's almost upscale. Um, I guess my reasoning is, and it's the one I mentioned before we got started, which is a film from 1982 called Class of 1984. And um, this movie is... Uh, was a movie made by who, Mark Lester, I think, is the guy who made this movie. It was actually a Canadian-made movie, um, which is kind of interesting. Who also so, directed Firestarter, Mark. Oh, okay. Oh, no shit. Okay, that makes... Uh, that, I, mean, I actually... I talked about Firestarter our last podcast. I don't know if it really stars anybody that anyone would really... Re well, okay, the biggest names in it so the main characters are played uh, some not Mike, as Michael, Michael J. Fox is in it, bro. Well, that's what I was going to say is there's there's two people of no, notoriety in it, although Michael J. Fox doesn't have much in it. He's in it a little bit. Um, he's definitely significant in the movie, which is kind of cool because it's a very you can tell it's a very early role for Michael J. Fox. Um, uh, he looks like a young teen in it. And then the other actor of some very noteworthy prominence and success that's in it is Roddy McDowell. Um, Roddy McDowell, people would know as Cornelius the Ape in Planet of the Apes. He appeared in The Twilight Zone. Um, 
lot of other movies. I mean, I'm trying to think of like his, but I mean, he was in some of these Oscar winning movies, like how green was my Valley as a kid. And, but he started showing up in the seventies. He, he was in a lot of, in a couple actually notable sci-fi horror and even kind of action thriller movies. Um, so this movie, uh, to get down to it, I, I think one of the things that captivates me about it is it's filled with stuff that would actually today would still be a little shocking um, when people watch it. Um, it's it's about a teacher that comes to a near kind of inner city urban school that has been overrun by um, gangs, punks, and thug basically type students. Um, and what's funny is they called it class of 1984 because again, they made this movie in 1982 and they, I think they were very much fearing this idea. It reflected in the eighties, this surge of where the students and kids and everything could get away with all sorts of stuff. Now, um, you couldn't have teachers beating kids. You couldn't dish out these disciplinary things. So it's to me, it's very much a movie. It's almost like Blackboard Jungle meets a gr- meets Grindhouse scenario, oh. um, which is kind of interesting. And so you have this new teacher played by an actor named Perry King, who shows up and is just starting to teach class. And every time he uh, and he meets a makes friends with a fellow teacher named uh, played by Roddy McDowell, and Roddy McDowell is the over the hill teacher who has starts basically telling him what's going on there. The guy comes in, the place is overrun with graffiti, overrun with crime, overrun with just drug selling and dealing. And the main villain ends up being this punk who rules the school named Stigman and, uh, or it's Stegman or something is what he goes by. It's like his last name. He's got a gang, basically a small gang of guys. And you realize they're dealing drugs they are obviously pressing and beating people up, threatening, fighting other gangs uh, who are trying to sell drugs in their territory, we'll call it. And even and this is all in school? This is all in a school, dude. This dude, is in a school. Dude, 80s they, punk like culture and look all over the place. Oh, yeah. Misfits. Swastikas everywhere. I mean. The Nazi place, punk. Yeah. It's like a school that's just like decaying. And I think what's amazing about this movie is I think this is a movie it's a story as said there was Blackboard Jungle early on there's this movie that's kind of its own treatment of that kind of story I feel like this is a story that could almost be retold every couple decades um because some of the issues and concerns in it could be relevant again today but they're just different different technology different things so you see a school basically you see a school where some of these things have either come true or you see that this is a worry we're still having. For instance, you have metal detectors set up in the school and it's supposed to be shocking at that time. Mm. And you see the kids carrying in weapons, smuggling in stuff. What's one of the greatest worries right now in schools but are active shooters and things like that? Um, You then have, this is really something, you have Roddy McDowell, who you see at the very beginning of the movie, reveal in his briefcase with all of his, you know, notepads and his information that he's carrying into his class. He carries a 45 caliber handgun kept right in there. Um, So you have a teacher packing a piece in this movie, too. Um, 
which is very nice. like wow. Like, Dude, reminds it reminds me of uh, of a movie called Brick in the early two, in the early two thousands. I don't okay. know if you. Dude, I don't know if you ever checked that out. They had um, uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and it's all about it. it's all about the it's all about coke trade in in, in a high school, and that's what's called Brick. Because Ryan Johnson, Brick. yeah, directed by Ryan Johnson. Yep, ah. yep. And yeah, and we love him for some things and hate him for one thing. Um, uh, the uh, <laughs> the uh, dude, I really liked that. I really like Knives Out. I did not like what he did with my beloved childhood. Um, uh, but anyway. <laughs> that would be Star Wars. Oh. Uh, the um, uh, but uh, but yeah, dude, Brick is a, a really, really, really uh, cool movie. Um, it's it probably very much similar to this. Well, um, this one... I, oh, go ahead. I imagine this has more horror thriller elements. That one's a lot more crime drama, but it the, has the same kind of yeah. thing to it. So that's the thing. Basically, this movie is a is a. It's not what I would even call a slow burn at all. It's it's a. It is a buildup of a cat and mouse game and tension between this this kid, this punk who basically just is. You realize how depraved he is, and um, the teacher finally and basically he leads to a kid getting high along with one of the along with Michael J. He's a friend of Michael J. Fox's character who decides to climb a flagpole high as a kite and ends up freaking out, falling to and breaking his neck to his death. And they're always trying to find a way to get these kids thrown out of the school and that, but it's kind of like they can't beat the system. The system is flawed. It's almost broken. The teachers are defenseless. You know, if they, the kid even does like pulls an Edward Norton and beats the shit out of himself um, in a bathroom, smashing his face against glass. I mean, breaking his own nose almost to, to make them think that the teacher did this to him. Um, just to, just to, yeah, I mean, just crazy tensions getting risen. And then, um, I I guess this is going to be full of some spoiler alerts. Um, so if you really want to see this movie and don't want to know, maybe skip over this part or whatever, but essentially spoiler friendly. Oh, it is spoiler friendly. Okay. That's good. Oh, Well, well, essentially the teacher is a music teacher, the main guy, and it all culminates to this big performance um with his orchestra the students that are in orchestra and these guys have kidnapped this gang and these uh, this punk have kidnapped his wife at the end of this and they lure him into the school the the darkened school hallways in the evening while this performance is supposed to be going and the teacher slowly one by one has to fight all of them and it just becomes this bloody murder rampage um, he, 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 he has a fight. They utilize for the killing and the fighting in this movie. They utilize the settings of a school actually very well. For instance, one, uh, first guy he kills is in a shop classroom. Um, we get a table saw that gets turned on and he, uh, the, he's trying, the guy, the guy's trying to push the teacher's face into it and he's able to flip the guy, um, over saws the guy's arm off. <laughs> And then grabs nice. him by the shirt, throws him with his back landing on the on this saw, and you could just imagine um, the carnage that that would do to the guy. Love um, it. He gets into an auto's room and lights a blowtorch and lights one guy on fire, and then uh, with another guy charging him with one of the cars to which he gets out of the way, and the guy smashes himself basically into a wall, um, getting obliter getting just fucking obliterated. Um, 
Or actually, no, that's the girl. So there's a girl in the gang, and she crashes the car and practically, like, busts her face up and everything while running over the guy who was trying to attack the teacher. Um, so you get some really, it all builds up to this incredibly <laughs> satisfying grindhouse style revenge ending with the teacher just single-handedly realizing he has to fight these guys. And one of the greatest moments of it to me is when he, he gets up to the rooftop and the main punk, the main villain Stegman has the teacher on the roof over this glass top that can see right down into the auditorium where his orchestra, where his, where the, where the um, concert, the student concert is taking place. And he finally ends up in a wrestling match and knocks this kid through the glass and the kid's hanging on by a rope. And this is, this kind of brings me to a little fun fact of some behind the scenes things about the movie. Um, one of the decisions was that the kid asks for the teacher's hand to save him, actually. And the teacher, being still who he is, decides, you know what? Fuck it, we'll just arrest this kid, whatever. Takes him by the hand. But of course, the kid pulls a switchblade out and tries to cut the teacher. And by doing so, the, the kid was supposed to then lose grip of, or the teacher lets go of Stegman, loses grip, and the kid falls um, through this, this skylight or whatever it is. Um, crashing through it and the rope gets wrapped around his neck and he gets hung basically with his neck being snapped just above um, all these people in the school watching this concert above it. Nice. Um, but they went back and they said, you know what? That's not satisfying enough. The, the filmmakers apparently, and they debated over this. And instead they said, when he cuts that teacher's hand, it can't be an accident that this kid falls through that light. So they had him cut him. He grabs onto the rope still, and the teacher delivers one big jack to his face, which causes him to fall through, killing him. Um, ah, they, the ah, the '80s where you can have yeah. mo movies about ch uh, about child murder. Yeah, yeah, totally. And but but the thing is, it's it's so. I guess what's amazing about this movie is they they pulled it off where they make these characters, these punks, so deplorable so gruesome and so horrible um they they make them so d d horrible that they you don't there it's totally accept they somehow make it totally acceptable that he is fighting and killing these guys these 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 teenagers by the hey. end of this movie hey if it works it works if it works it works yeah the, that was actually my and i was doing a little bit of light imdb looking and that was michael j fox's first movie Oh, not, it was. It not, was not, not TV, not TV movie or TV series, but legitimate wow. movie. Um, it was only in like what two, maybe three scenes. It's been years since I've seen it. Yeah, he's not in many. I mean, he's he's like this kid that gets. He's definitely like one of the good kids that you know the teachers trying to get him to identify and. Yeah, he's he's the good boy that gets killed. Yeah, or damn near. Yeah, yeah, and he gets like yeah, he gets knifed in a lunchroom. So that's what I mean. You have these real um, concerns of deep-seated violence and so high, so high high schools like prison. Great, got it. Kind of, yeah. Got, got got the metaphor. Got the metaphor. Yeah, there's a bit of metaphor. There's a bit of that. You even get this is one of my favorite things too about this. To me, the movie was like a hidden gem. Um, one of the other beautiful things. There's a simple score in the movie, 
but the main song for it is a song called I Am The Future done by Alice Cooper. Nice. Which I need to look that song up now. Is just phenomenal. I love it. Um, and it couldn't be better being an Alice Cooper fan. So oh, yeah. I this movie is a little bit above the average grindhouse film i definitely it's almost to the point where yeah i would even question if it truly is a grindhouse but it has a lot of hallmarks which imdb is not always the most accurate resource for this kind of information mm-hmm. but apparently its budget was like 4.3 million which i think dwarfs mark's pick and my pick yeah <laughs> together Oh yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's not a, you know, I shoot, I'd be, I'd be damn, you know, well, 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 Brandon's gonna keep talking. I'm gonna look up what the actual budget was that for that. Yeah, I don't know what the budget was for House by the Cemetery, but yeah, I, I tried to find it. Um, yeah, keep talking. I'm gonna do a little bit of research here and see if I can oh, find. Sure. Basically, though, that that movie is just I don't know. There was a time where I was on a huge search for grindhouse and exploitation films. But I think one of the things was I I was actually getting disappointed in some of the ones I was finding because I was finding that they weren't these a lot of most of them were not these great movies or these cool stories or these. You know, I found a few with cool scenarios, but that one um just like knocked it out of the park. But I think what's just neat about the film is the film actually has some prophetic and just things that are now being still discussed in and are in our, our situation of schools and urban students and stuff in this day and age. And this was a movie, you know, made almost what, probably almost 40 years ago. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Dude, it's, it was always fun to, to, to check out movies that, like, uh, that were probably not as important back then as they are now. Like you know, Society? <laughs> Your favorite? <laughs> sure, of course. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, dude, I'd say what, dude, there's a lot more conspiracies about the Illuminati and all that shit now than there was back in the early 90s, right. um, thanks to the lovely world of the internet. Um, uh, you know, but one of the biggest ones is, is Demolition Man. Demolition Man is, is way more important now than it ever would have been. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, due to basically a society run by Tumblr. The, yeah. uh, the, uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's, it's definitely way more of an important movie now than it ever was. So there's something to be said about that. Um, uh, most likely. Um, it's saying that it's, that it's uh, um, 60 million uh, GB uh, um, uh, P. So that may be Italian currency. Um, uh, so I have no idea what that translates uh, into into that. Yeah, I don't either, especially considering the era that it was made to. Yeah, I have no idea what that what that currency would be, um, but apparently it was 300 uh, of Italian dollars. Okay. All right, so I found 600 million Italian lira as the budget. Yes, that was what I found as well. Converted to U.S. dollars today would have been 340,000. Oh, wow. Holy shit. That's nothing. 
So back then, according to the inflation ca calculator that I found, which was 1981, $340,000 $340, today would be $119,700 and some change. Holy shit. Yeah, that explains a lot. Well, it's good. It gives us a somewhat of a comparison to kind of tell like what the varieties and what people consider a grindhouse is or maybe what is and what isn't um, technically a grindhouse film. And then Blood Feast was twenty four and a half thousand. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Nothing. Yeah. Um, uh, nothing. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's crazy. And then all they spent all that money on ADR. Um, <laughs> yeah, seventy five percent of the budget was on ADR. Um, uh, the uh, but yeah, dude, I I can definitely tell that. I just like by the conversations that I've had, I would say that I know that you want to include some grindhouse that have higher budgets, but pr most likely grindhouses are those movies that are the, you know, the 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 ones that I I, I don't care what it you know I don't want you to make it good. I want you to make it by Thursday. Yeah. kind of budgets you know i mean yeah you there are some really good ones you want to include in that list but i would say and brandon and you can agree or disagree but i think for the most part you would want to put these in the the, the budget area in the hundreds of thousands of dollars not the hundreds of millions of dollars um uh, the uh, that's that's probably where you want to stick around but i may be wrong i don't know as much as you guys do about grind i also saw a class of 1984 on a few grindhouse lists and i mean these these all came out before any of us were born. True. Yeah. Um, so it's like we really have, we can read about them, but at the end of the day, none of us were alive to see like what the releases of these movies were actually right. like. Um, so it gets even hazier there. Um, and like we discussed earlier, I can't remember if we were recording or if it was before we started recording. Grindhouse became a genre of recently because of the Tarantino Rodriguez movie. It right. was ever a genre. I mean, before there were exploit there were exploitation movies. Right, right, um, right. So it's in my mind there is that leeway of you can be as wide or as narrow as you want to be. Interesting. Um, well, that's true. I mean, you know, my dad talks about you know back in the day, you know, you know all these like in the. 70s and 80s these these horrible bullshit double featured uh, horror movies that that you used to go and watch i mean it was just an excuse to make out with your girlfriend or whatever girl was available <laughs> at the time so drive-in classics and stuff. yeah they, i mean then you know they're they, like they weren't they they weren't meant to be anything more than to bring a date and you know maybe she'll get scared and then yeah. you may, you make out i mean like you know we're talking about a genre of film that not much thought i think us making talking about this podcast is probably more thought than the people who made these films uh, oh, put into that. So I, you know, so it's interesting to talk about. Um, certainly, um, I would be more inclined to watch bad movies that are funny bad rather than movies that are bad bad. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, the um, so if I had to pick like Grindhouse, I would need to be, or, like I can watch Batman and Robin by myself and laugh, but like. These type of movies, I would need to be around a bunch of different people, and I would need the commentary of the audience to to, to run with it, because um, otherwise it's just me shouting at the screen, and then you know, that's no fun. Just you know, might as well watch sports or the news. 
I'd rather watch, I'd almost rather watch a really bad movie any day other rather than sports, but that's the way I am. Fair enough, fair there, enough. There are two last things I have before we move on. Um, first one is, so there are two big director connections to Class of 1984 that I found while we were talking about it. Oh, wow. Uh, the first one is the co-writer was Tom Holland, who directed Child's Play, the original Fright Night, uh, oh, Stephen King's nice. and Stephen King's The Langoliers. <laughs> Vinny, there's Vinny, a story behind that. Dude, Vinny, no, go back and watch and watch our Stephen King podcast. Um, okay. uh, that, that was one of my picks for one of the movies. Um, uh, <laughs> it, dude, I still don't know what the fuck, like, I, like a hundred percent what the fuck happened uh, in that. It was just, it, it, it's just a batshit crazy, um, uh, TV movie. Isn't that like the airplane one? And yeah, like, people are vanishing or. Dude, they made such a big deal about how the soda is flat on this airplane. Like they, <laughs> they talked about it for like fucking 20 minutes. They're like, they're like, but the soda is flat. That's how we know we've been here for a long time. Oh I'm like, well, whoop do fucking do? Was like, that like a thing in, in Stephen King's actual book, or was that just a problem with the screenplay? I have it, no clue. Knows, kind of no thing. Clue. Yeah, knows, no yeah. clue. No um, clue. Stephen, it, uh, dude, you got to remember, though, like Stephen King did a lot of coke. So you get a lot of books and a lot of stories that were during the coke days and then, you know, the other coke days. And also, too, I think Langoliers was right after. It was after it was his uh, coke hangover. Um, okay. so it was it was in the same book as Secret Window, Secret Secret Garden, Secret Window, which would be adapted into Secret Window. See, that was good. I enjoyed Secret Window. I don't even put that in the same you know the same ballpark. Also, you're talking about a movie that was made in '04 compared to a two-part miniseries that came out in '95. Fair enough. That Ten is that difference. Movie budget versus TV budget. Right. And then you know you also had Johnny Depp versus I don't know some people. So Somebody, uh, somebody, um, uh, you know, there's, some... there's bound to be somebody good, and like, I know there's somebody good, and was it David Morse? I don't know, yeah, uh, this is gonna bother me if I don't look it up. Fair enough, but yeah, Vinny, I had, I had some fun on our Stephen King podcast. Um, for everybody who hasn't listened to it, go back and listen to it, it's pretty awesome. The uh, we have fun with uh, um, uh, with our dear composer friend Rob, um, uh, talking about Stephen King, um, it definitely was David Morse. Oh, okay, fair enough. The uh, the other director connection to Class of 1984, one of the actors um, is Timothy Van Patten. Oh, yeah. Today he's known as Tim Van Patten, who's probably most famous for directing 20 episodes of The, of the Sopranos, 18 episodes of Boardwalk Empire, and the first two episodes of Game of Thrones. Nice. Ah. Wow, quite the pedigree for him. He's the well, he's the villain in the in class of nineteen eighty-four. He plays the the kid. Nice. So nice. That's, that's something. That I is pretty dope. That. And then something else I was thinking about. Vinny, have you ever seen Manos the Hands of Fate? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, and now have you actually watched so, it or did you watch the Mystery Science Theater version? See, the problem is I think I actually watched it, but I watched it in kind of like bits and pieces. I might have even tuned out in some parts of it. But Did you know a sequel came out just a couple years ago? Officially. I feel like I heard something about that, actually. Yeah, I, I was browsing Amazon Prime like yesterday or the day before and I saw Manos, The Return. I was like, is that a documentary or what? Oh, no, it's a sequel. It's and a direct it, sequel. It actually had involvement from some of the people 
who were involved with the original. I wonder if they made it better or if it's just know. as shitty. Like, I, I haven't watched it yet, but I'm going to because I want to see both. I, I need to know what this thing is and yeah. what. Uh, it has a 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb. So compared uh, to the original's 1.9, what's it at right now, Mark? Uh, that is a great question. Let's let's that's, find that's out. Manos, the hands of fate. So, okay, it so is at a 1.9. This movie. A, a, a ladder. A, They're climbing the ladder of success. <laughs> it's still the, uh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody, Sixty years later, but the uh, <laughs> moving up in the world. I got a better rating on IMDb. Yay! The um, uh, but oh, yeah, yeah that fun stuff. Fun stuff. Um, and another one. I now now one little question. Just one little. We don't have to go on this too long. But what do you guys think, especially, I know, Brandon, you're familiar, because you mentioned a little something of what you thought of it, but what do you think about this whole Grindhouse revival and these movies that are being made now that are very much like Grindhouse throwbacks? So I look at the Tarantino Rodriguez Grindhouse, and of course, I would say that's where the revival started. Mm -hmm. That I really liked, particularly Planet Terror and Trailer. Death Proof, I've come to appreciate a bit more now than I did when I first saw it. Uh, I still think it's one of Tarantino's weakest movies. Yeah, it's not my favorite. And it does not hold a candle to Planet Terror, but I I do appreciate it more now than I did then. Um, And then, of course, Rodriguez continued with Machete and Machete Kills, and I really like both of them. I know... The first one got much better reviews than the second one, but I still really like both, and I hope someday we'll get machete kills in space, hopefully. Oh. Um, knowing oh the way Rodriguez works, I wouldn't be surprised if he already has at least half of it shot. Um, <laughs> but who knows? Um, I think one of my... I never, I never saw Hellride... I yeah, never I, saw, I never saw Black Dynamite, which is more of a parody, but I've heard good things about it. Um, I never saw Hobo with a Shotgun, but I've heard good things about it. That's it, one of my favorite. That's probably like actually my favorite modern made like Grindhouse type movie. I have to see it. You talk about I it all the time. Really, I, I do really like Rudger Hauer and with him passing away within the last year, yeah. I do really need to see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so, it's, it's so it's got horror elements definitely in it and elements that will just make you go absolutely what the fuck. Yeah. Um, uh, but, and the gore is so crazy and so outrageous. Like there's parts where it almost feels like a cartoon or something or a comic book. But yeah, Hobo with the Shotgun. I, I almost did that as my pick, but I wanted to go with something a little older um, and a little more horror feeling. Something a little more genuine and not a throwback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I re- other than Grindhouse and the two Machete movies, I really haven't seen any of the major throwback movies. I can't remember if there are any others other than the ones that I mentioned, but I, 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 seen like the major, I think you have then seen some of the major throwback ones. Uh, I don't know if there's any other good ones that have really been done. That goes into my next point. Though I though I've though I've the major ones I've only seen Grindhouse the two machete movies like I said never saw Hell Ride or Hobo or yeah I never um, saw Hell Ride is the one I haven't seen um, 
I have, however, seen many, many, many short films that okay. try to be throwbacks. They slap on the fake grain. They slap on the fake scratches and pops and crackles and bubbles and everything. And they try to go with the missing scene and the missing reel. And they take out frames. And they're terrible. <laughs> um, like, it's almost like I've, I've seen so many short films that feel like they're made by people who don't understand why the Tarantino Rodriguez movie worked. Um, that movie did not work because of the fake scratches. The fake scratches were just a fun little bonus. They're still a good movie if you take away exactly. the scratches. Um, and it's like, I've seen so many that it's just to the point where it's like, I can't even remember anything about them because they always blur together to me as, okay, they're just trying to ape off of the grindhouse feel in quotes mm -hmm. there's nothing here well you mustn't forget to make a good movie um uh, you know i've seen that i've seen that a lot and fail in a lot of the in, in you know and just in our circles in the independent world you know of trying to make something that's highly stylistic and just for the sake of it making something highly stylistic and you forgot to make a good movie yeah. um and you know. it's sad when I have to say that, especially since we're independent filmmakers ourselves, and I don't like saying anything bad about other independent filmmakers' work, but right. if I didn't like it, I can't lie, I didn't like it, and if I feel like there is nothing there, again, I can't lie, I felt like there was right. nothing there other than scratches and a missing reel. That doesn't exist. Um, well, Mark and I were in it movie i'm not going to go into too much about it but we were Brent, Brent, brandon already knows brandon already and i was yeah. actually thinking about it and i and i and I, I can almost bet money that brandon knows exactly what we're talking about brandon knows oh brandon Brent, knows Brent, brandon's also fully aware of what's what's going on and what we're kind, talking about kind of putting it out there for the audience but we were i think mark and i well know we were in a movie that kind of was trying to do that and trying to have that style act, I'd say it was, wasn't it? Kind of trying to be a grindhouse movie. Um, it was trying. It was trying to be something. Um, uh, the um, you know, I think that the overall um, the the leadership team on there. Um, I'm gonna say it's a leadership team. I'm not gonna attack one person individually, but um, uh, you know, the people that were in charge of that vision were obsessed with this idea of of I only want to appeal to the people that love those weird, you know, grindhouse, like so bad, they're good movies. Right. You know, you know, he des they, they desperately wanted to make, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, attack of the killer clowns from outer space. Right. Like, right. you know, and, and, and you can't do that. Like you can't, you, you can't do right. that. That kind of, that kind of thing just happens. The, um, right. uh, you know, and, and I don't know what those people's intent were, you know, when they were, uh, when the, they were making from, um, uh, killer clowns from outer space. Which I'm not the biggest fan of. Um, I roll my fucking eyes a lot at that movie. David I've loves it. I've actually not even watched it. I need to. It's not that good. Um, uh, the um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, you know, it, it's it's disappointing when that's the case. When you're trying so hard to make something stylistic, I've seen it. Uh, you know, on multiple different occasions. Um, sure. I've seen people sacrifice style um uh you know for substance uh brandon you you know there's a few other movies that you and i can think of um uh, that do that 
Um, uh, you know, and, and so there's uh, – we'll talk afterwards, Vinny, but um, uh, there's, <laughs> there's, there's quite a few. Um, yeah. uh, actually, you've already seen it, so you already know. Uh, I think you know, I saw the film you're talking about. Yeah, well, you're, 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 the film that is. The, uh, you, you to, broke... to answer your actual question, Vinny, um, what do I think of this whole throwback revival thing? Yeah. Like with any other genre, and this feel I, I know this kind of feels like a cop out answer, but like with any other genre, it's like if you, you, you can good tell what was made by somebody who actually cares and wants to sell something good, and you can tell the difference between that and some of those made by somebody who just cares about the cosmetics of it, right? And there's nothing there. Um, so yeah, it's I, I do feel because Grindhouse, a lot of younger filmmakers now just associate that with like the fake grain and the scratches mm -hmm. and the aging of the film and the fake aging of the film. Sure. Um, it's almost like it's a very easy cosmetic to replicate, especially with a lot of filters that are in editing softwares now. Um, so, but it's I feel like if if the makers think beyond the scratches and the missing frames and everything, you can make something really good. It's yet yeah. to remember there has to be something beyond that. Um, and unfortunately, I've right. seen a lot of work that didn't think beyond that. Yeah. Well, it's like you said, they've been kind of eating. There's a lot of some of these even independent or even just smaller budget studios that have been kind of eating up that, that genre sense. And I mean, there's actually been other attempt at at that kind of grindhouse style movie and i definitely think it's important too for them to have elements of what kind of is the hallmarks of the grindhouse movies like some of the blood maybe some of the violence or some of the whatever or it's weird subject matter um is even a thing and but yeah it's like you said i've i've started to see a number of them now that like you said they don't really try they just kind of slap some cheap thing together and yeah they put that grain they put that effect on it and they kind of think they can just sell it off as this oh it's a grindhouse thing it's a this and that they slap also, it too, i'm just like why would you want to make a movie that only appeals to one small cult audience why wouldn't you want to make something that's going to get more out to people you know and you know, that you're going to make something off of. You're going to make some money off of. Well, yeah, you, want, you want people Sergio to see it. Rodriguez Grindhouse, I would say, definitely has a good-sized audience. Sure. But sure. even that movie flopped in theaters. And even Tarantino has recently admitted, yeah, th that movie was a flop. Wow. Oh, he did. Like, okay. nobody, like, he admitted nobody, he, he didn't think the mass audiences understood what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, he, I do remember him saying like a few years ago that he thought Death Proof was his weakest movie. Um, but yeah, as much as I love Grindhouse, yeah, it did not do that good at the box office from what I remember. That's not okay. I didn't actually know that. But I'm sure more. I'm sure more people are finding it in you know oh, DVD, yeah. DVD sales and everything else right. and digital. I mean, you know, th th that always happens, man. It happens in many different forms of movies that were not popular in the theaters because they came out at the wrong time for whatever reason. And then, you know, and then became tremendous successes through word of mouth, through, you know, DVD releases and things like that. I mean, you know, I fight club, perfect example, the, uh, not, 
not successful in theaters whatsoever. Really? Uh, no, not at all. Um, uh, but very much got a lot of traction um, uh, with DVD and digital sales. Scarface, another example. Um, not wow. successful in theaters at all. Um, uh, yeah, yeah not- Palma was a director who made some stuff that didn't necessarily appeal to most people. Yeah. It's great movies. Blowout's probably his best, if you ask me. Okay. Um, oh, great. Um, great, great documentary about him too, by the way. Um, highly recommended. Film back in 1983, Woody Allen made a movie, a mockumentary called Zelig, and he actually aged film by just like stomping on it, running it through a bathtub. Like he wanted those scratches on it. He didn't have a digital filter like we have today. He had to physically scratch up that film, beat the shit out of film, self-inflict that. Yeah, yeah. Tw- years, more than twenty years before Grindhouse. Wow, really good movie, actually. Zelig, Zelig. Yeah. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, I mean, either it happens, dude. You know, you never know what you know how the audiences, you know, audiences are going to react to films. But you know, you want to make something that's you know that's good. Like, right. and 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 there's a clear difference between you know, you know. There's you can have differences of opinion on what is good and what is bad, but oh, yeah. you, but it, which it happens often. I mean, there's plenty of movies that 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 Brandon likes that I don't, and vice versa. And there is also it, understanding the difference between this is bad and I don't like this. That, right. that that's the point I was getting at, Brandon. Thank you. The um uh, you know the, there's some movies that are devoid of any kind of um you know clearly you were passionate about the material, clearly you wanted to do this. And clearly you wanted to get this out to, you know, a big audience for them to enjoy this, um, uh, you know, or, you know, or represent your genre properly. But, you know, and then there's other movies that are not. So, yeah. uh, so. And you I don't got- know what people are going to like, what they're going to expect. Like, even with our own work, uh, I know plenty of people who really like the three shorts we've made. And I've also heard criticisms that they didn't think there was any style to our shorts, <laughs> but. I mean, we're trying to stay true to real life, so we don't want like those overly dramatic, stylistic. Yeah, don't, you don't want to. We don't want the style to overthrow the uh, the reality of the stories we're trying to tell. So it's, but that's not necessarily what everybody's looking for when they click on a short film. But then there are yeah. people who are looking for that. You never know. So it's just all about okay. do the best you can with what you think is best for your story. I'm looking for a power cord. For sure. That makes sense too. I mean, that's a thing. It's, it's, um, yeah, there's always going to be opinion, like you said, versus, and I mean, I don't even know if there is any such thing as fact or opinion. No, it's, no, not, not, not an art. It's, yeah. it's all, it's all opinion based, brother. Yeah, it's all opinion. The, um, it's it all... my general, uh, ones that are generally like, yes, this is true. Yes, this is not, but. You know, but you, you run into those, run into those things. But yeah, art is subjective. But you can tell when when there's bullshit. The um, uh, you know, when the art wasn't being true. But uh, you know, I do have a question of the podcast, though. Um, I was th- I was thinking about it. So um, before you get to your question of the podcast, do you want to know what I think the biggest oxymoron in existence is? Yes, unbiased opinion. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty fu- funny. fucking ridiculous that is yeah. actually i've never even thought of that yeah yeah they well 
I have nothing outside opinion, but not unbiased opinion. Isn't that fun? Yeah, that, that's the exact opposite of what an opinion is. Um, uh, the uh, I love it. I love it that I will now use that um, in sentences. Anytime somebody says that, I was like, that's the biggest oxymoron ever. I'm, I'm sure there's somebody out there in Internet land in the comments who's going to prove me wrong about that. And I'm sure they're smarter than me. But for now, I feel clever. <laughs> we'll let you have it, Brandon. How about that? Brandon, I think it's, I like it. I think it sounds like something that a lot of our politicians in this country would use. <laughs> do you, do, do you feel validated, Brandon? What's your question of the podcast, Mark? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's your and just, and just like a politician, he sidesteps the question. Um, I, the, uh, so, um, uh, so, but hopefully you don't sidestep this one. This is a pretty obvious one. Um, but I think it's important. It's kind of fun to talk about it, considering what we're doing, you know, is a big budget a anchor or a or a help when it comes to filmmaking? Because we're all we're all involved in, in filmmaking here. Define anchor, please, in this context. A, a, a deterrent a, a, um, uh, in the quality of filmmaking. Does too much money? Um, does having a large bu budget give you a an advantage or a, a? Does it give you more of an advantage or more of a disadvantage? Hmm. That's a tough one because it also because Brandon's going to get a little technical here. Where is the money coming from? That could have, <laughs> that could also have a sway in. <laughs> so you know, my uncle Tony, he you know he might uh, you know give you a few loans. Um, uh, no, no, no. The you know the the whole the whole idea is that you know you you have movies like Halloween that are you know that are very good in their genres, and then you have movies like The Bye Bye Man. That are also horror, a horror movie that that cost three times as much as that, and they're terrible. So you know, I'm I, I getting into that whole debate. But but also, there's some fantastic movies with very high budgets. You know, so you know, I, I you know, I wanted to bring. I have a you know, I have an opinion on this, and I and I think both of you would agree, somewhat agree with my opinion on it. But right. I wanted to hear your perspective. I mean, I can definitely. You want me to throw in just a yeah, little? Yeah, yeah, Vinny, go ahead, brother. One thought I have with that is I, I definitely, I don't know if it hinders the whole movie, but I could definitely think of examples where big budget, um, or, or maybe I should say having a lesser budget, contributed to the creativity. Um, one of the biggest things. Uh, I mean, you know, we've all seen movies that have a simple subtlety to it, and a lot of times that's because like they couldn't maybe like, for instance, if you there are horror movies where the less you see, the more frightening it is. Jaws. Um, Jaws. Perfect example. I mean, that was more of a technical issue. I know that that caused that. But we've seen it work in favor. We've seen it. It created more fear. It created more creepiness and atmosphere. Um, and I've seen it, you know, um, it did it with. It's even done it, you know, with with uh, in like in. I guess it's done it in all genres of film. Sometimes it's just more eerie or more effective than what you don't see or what is suggested. You know, it makes the filmmakers have to come up with more creative ways to con to convey their what's happening. Sometimes. Indeed, indeed. The uh, Brandon, what do you think? 
I'm sort of still debating with myself. And it's like, I'm thinking about what Guillermo del Toro once said, where he, he doesn't think filmmakers should be given everything they want, especially if you're newer. Because it does, because like, as Vinny said, it does force you to be more creative. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't know what Del Toro's biggest budget movie was. Just based on the looks, I'm going to guess probably either Hellboy 2 or Pacific Rim are most likely his two biggest budget movies. And I still think those two are very good movies. Um, and then the movie he won his Oscar for, Shape of Water, he that was on its much bigger budget than any of us have ever worked with, but it was smaller than what a lot of directors get. Um, and that was still a really good movie. Uh, then you have directors like Christopher Nolan, who everybody loves, and he's made movies that I do love. And I look at like Memento, which yes. the structure of that movie alone is creative. Um, and then you have Interstellar, which also has really creative effects in it. He has IMAX cameras, 70 millimeter, um, A-list actors, like literally everything. Like after The Dark Knight, let's, after The Dark Knight and Inception, let's face it, he pretty much gets anything he wants. Um, right. Even though that's not really the reality of any movie, but for our purposes, we'll just say that we call but, that we call that the George Lucas syndrome. But um, <laughs> Interstellar, even though there's a lot of creative effects and a lot of creative filmmaking techniques, I do feel like that movie has gone to a point where I would say it's so good it's bad, where everything about it had to be so perfect that I feel no emotion with it. So I think that is a case where the bigger budget may have hindered my enjoyment of a movie. Um, It it removes the, the, you know, I, I think the, the big thing with, with, with bigger budgets is a lot of times people fall into traps of like Vinny was saying, less creativity and less, you know, and you're going to get more either so much stuff it's to the point of perfection and it doesn't feel organic anymore. It doesn't feel like it has life anymore. Or what what happens a lot more often is waste and just money for the sake of money. You know, yeah. a, a perfect example for that is the Transformers series or the Fast and the Furious series. The um, It's just the more, you know, just throwing so much money at it just to make it bigger and, you know, and, and, and you've, you've, you've sacrificed style as we were talking about before with any kind of substance, because, you know, it's so much money that you feel that you have to spend when yeah. in fact there's been some quality movies that have been made. So money can blind too much money can blind, you know, a style. So I, I think, I think my answer was it, budgets, it, budgets are like, like, a machine gun like it could you know if you put it in the hands of a trained soldier it can it can fight wars for you but if you put it in the hands of a crazy person bad things happen yeah. so you know so it, it really it just depends on who you give the money to and what kind of substance they're going to come up with you know christopher nolan making the dark knight you know like that was a very high-end budget um, you know and it was a great movie and then you have the transformers which you know 
I, I'm going to say, actually, let's just make this real specific. Transformers 2, which is terrible. The, um, that was uh, also a writer's strike movie, so... Fair enough, but, but that's... Oh, it was. Okay. That's, you know, that's beside the point. But, it, you know, it, 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 it's one of those things that it's just too... It's, you know, it's so much that it becomes a hindrance. But also, no money is, is also a hindrance, but I think it's a better hindrance than having too much money. Because um, you are forced to be more creative. Like, I, I'm really struggling with an answer on this one, because it's like, you also have directors like Sam Raimi. He started with literally nothing. 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 Yeah. And then look at Spider-Man 2, which is great. But look at Spider-Man 3. But also, <laughs> yeah. he had a lot of studio mandates. With I was going to say studio interference. Comes back to my earlier question of, where is the money coming from? Well, it's, it's also a good... he's a director for hire for that movie. So it's like if these people giving you the money say we want this, they're the ones poning up the dough. So is that Sam Raimi's creativity or is that he had a job to do? Um, well, well, that always, you know, it, it, too many. Well, I think that always comes down to the too many cooks in the kitchen makes a movie suffer. Um, uh, you know, and that's why I've always been like of the mind of, especially coming from a producial standpoint, the, uh, you know, obviously we're, you know, with us with living nightmares, we're working with no budget, but that being said, you know, I'm acting as if we do. And in this case, I, we, as a company, as a network and me as an executive producer of living nightmares, we hired Zach for a reason to direct that episode. So I'm going to let Zach do what he does best and leave him the hell alone and then support him rather than rather than try to impose my vision. Because if that was the case, then why the hell did I hire him in the first place? And I know that's that, that's, you know, and a lot of people go, well, no shit. Zach were to say for a Living Nightmares episode, I want aliens to invade at the end. Was that in the script that we finalize everything in pre-production? It's, it's what he wants to bring to his vision to our script. Well, then, well, then I, I, I guess, you know, I, I, then I, I, I would, I would hope that I would have enough sense to, to know. Yes. You, you did hire that. You did hire that director to do that job, but you still got to make sure they are doing that job. Well, that's, well, that's true. But you know what? But I also would have, I'm sure would have had the sense to have worked with somebody that I've heard enough about. Um, they, and that's why you check references when you, before you hire anybody for a job. Um, and you look at a resume and you make sure that that person is not crazy. And then on the last day, then I could say, well, I want to have things be invaded by aliens. The, um, uh, you know, that, that comes to making, you know, a, a quality decision as a producer and then living with it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying don't have complete hands off for sure, but, but also to the point that I, cause I'll, I'll just say it. I, I am not a believer in the fantasy of producer just leaves the director alone, no matter what. Yeah. Um, I can't think, do that. Uh, we always hear stories about how producers try to step on a director's vision, but there are just as many stories about a producer stepping in, saved a movie. Well, uh, that's true too. The, uh, I'm sure that there's yeah. plenty of those. So I then then I think then I it, it, what's one of those things still business that there is still business. Oh, side yeah, absolutely. And uh-huh. dude, you don't, don't get me wrong. You don't have to tell me about that. I think that maybe then, you know, when you have too much of a budget, then you don't need producer a 
with one thought and then director then director here producer a producer b studio exec you know it's only it's the, you get into trouble there when there's too many people and there's too many chains of command to to cycle through to make a simple decision that's where i think that you get in trouble and that's where the bloat of the bloat uh, being bloated with a extremely high budget uh, comes into effect but which is very similar to what you said brandon which is where is the money coming from the um is Where's it coming coming from what was what were the discussions beforehand how much prep time was given because like all right we talked about too many cooks in the kitchen well reality check those big studios have that many cooks and mm -hmm. i don't know about you guys but someday i would like to be able to shoot one of those big movies because i'm sure the pay is pretty good well right? you know <laughs> what's your bullshit uh, threshold for this much money you know it, it, it's like it's like a graph chart you know the my threshold for bullshit money is it for bullshit <laughs> is this high so okay so my pay must be this high and there's yeah. the reality of the more money is the more money there is the less freedom you're likely going to have True. And then, of course, look at how many logos are in front of a lot of these movies. So that's not just money coming from one person. It's so that's money coming from multiple nice. people. Producers it's true. It's, it, it's true. It's true. The, um, uh, you know, I, the. So, uh, so I, guess, I guess my, I guess my answer is more money isn't a hindrance, but things attach that money and things that just naturally come out of the woodwork when more money is involved could be a hindrance, just as much as the reverse of lack of money also has its own hindrances. Because like you're still gonna deal with egos on no budget films. Shit, don't don't we know it? Oh um, my, uh, the um, I, I I think that um... so there, there there's my answer. It's not the money; it's the people. <laughs> I, That's true. I, I think I'm going to say one more thing about this, and I'm going to let Vinny jump in on this. Um, I'm going to I'm going to second what you're saying, Brandon, but I'm also going to say is that the 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 devil's in the details. Um, uh, as long as everything has been worked out appropriately, um, it, 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 then 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 there's no worries. You know, if you should you know have a producer who can provide checks and balances to the the creative uh, team to make sure they don't go off the rails, um, but you should also have hired a person who you know you're not going to run into those those kind of issues, and that's where the pre-planning comes in. You have this project, you have this script, and you and you say, you know what? I know the perfect director for this. He's already attuned to this style. He's not going to go, you know, it's not going to get out of control. And that's right. where and that's where the hiring process in any business you want to find the right team. Yep. Um, before you know, you know, you want to find the right team, the right people, because if you do that, those problems are very far and few between, and they won't be as severe. And then you won't have an issue with doing that. But, but again, though, from a producer standpoint, you put in the money, you make sure you hire the the right team that you know those problems aren't going to have. You check your ego at the door, and then, and, and then if things get too off the rails, then you come in. You got to be the adult and do that. It's like. It, it, uh, you know, it's like my feelings about capitalism, like capitalism sh should not be left alone to do whatever the fuck it wants to do. But it also you shouldn't manage it like the Octomom either. Um, there, there is a balance there. And that's and that's kind of where 
Octomom was the crazy, you know, helicopter parent, the one who like really micromanaged their kids, right. the ones who put them on leashes and shit. Right. They, uh, you know, like it, 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 you can't can't be that either. Like there has to be a balance. But again, the the devil's in the details. You have to have the right prep of the situation. Hire the right people, and then your budget can be as big as it wants to be, as long as everybody's on the same page before before everything starts. Um, and then you won't have any issues because everybody knows that most, uh, you know, most a huge portion of the issues that cause the most problem and get the most stories are during, during production. Um, uh, you know, everybody hears about all the actors fighting on set and all the problems there, you know, and not as many people hear about post and pre, but it's all about when the filming's happening. And that's when um, I'm going to throw another part. asterisk at that and say, you don't always have the time to find the right people. And even if you do find mm. the right director, um, you're not going to have time to cross-reference every actor with every other actor to make sure everybody's going to get along. Oh, I no, I know that, dude. I'm more talking about the leadership staff more than anything because the director is the leader. Uh, you know, so that that's I'm more concerned about that than. There's always going to be biases that are going to come up at random times, with or without prep. Um, uh, you you curb it. You, you curb it the best you can. Yeah. Right. The, you know, the, you curve with the best, the, the best you possibly can. The, um, uh, you know, and, and I think, and, and you curve it the best you can, hire the best people, be the adult on, be, be the adults um, that, that wrangles people, and then check your ego at the door. And, and then after know. that, good or bad, at least you know you did your best. That's the, and, and that's it, man. That's all you can do. <laughs> that's all anybody can you do. You can do everything right beforehand but everything can still go wrong after so oh absolutely and when that happens all you have left is you ask yourself do i still believe i did everything the best i could you know what and and you certainly hope the answer is yes yeah right that was the, a good uh, question of the podcast you really made me think on that one <laughs> i i know I, I i it was in the same vein as what we we're talking about we we're talking about budgets the um uh you know and i i i, I think sometimes you know, and I, and I bring this up a lot. I think sometimes that the entertainment industry gets far too com, you know, uh, convoluted for the sake of being convoluted. You know, uh, you have all these opinions, all these unions, all these other people. I realize there, a lot of them are very important. However, the there's just sometimes that you just you don't need to behave, you know, the way that you behave. And there's things that could be avoided. You know, simple things. You know, you, you don't need to spend this much money just because you have it you know budgets are budgets are there for you know for a ceiling so you don't go past it they not not for you to not as a goal for you to run towards so you know you find ways to to do that you know we'll get plenty of indie filmmakers that find all kinds of ways to get shit done for you know for much less than than that and and then and just treat it like a normal business because that's what it is it is a business the, um, I know every, you know, we, we're special, we're making art, but we still at the art at the end of the day, a business. Um, uh, and, and we should treat it no, uh, we should treat it, I don't want to say no differently, but somewhere close to no differently than any other business, any other, you know, plumber, you know, roofer, whatever the case may be. It's, it's, it, it, to approach it practically is a much better approach than superficially. So Vinny, go ahead, buddy. Sorry. I mean, my basic thing is, is they, I, I think what it really comes down to, in my, my opinion, um, 
it, it also is what Brandon said. It's it's not always so much the money, but I think it's the people who's getting that money. Um, mm. and that would pretty much even sum up what I was saying too. It's like sometimes that gives makes sometimes less money is going to force people and make them more creative, but sometimes it doesn't. You know, because those True. people just aren't being creative or thinking about it. Sometimes people continue to have some level of very, you know, helpful, you know, they can, they, they use that money for that big budget to do some very ingenious stuff. Sometimes they don't. So I, I think it really, I think it can be a anchoring or a, I think it can be a good or a bad thing completely depending on who's running the show and who's doing the movie. Fair enough. So we've all come to the agreement that money isn't bad. Um, it, no, money doesn't suck. People suck. Cool. Got it. Um, pretty much. Pretty, <laughs> got it. The um, uh, no, that that's 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 actually some good insight. I think Brandon's still like is still like he's like wow, this is really good. This is I, like, I am still mulling over a few things. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean I didn't mean to like really get too thought provoking. It's just we're talking about budgets with Grindhouse, so I was like, it's I figured I'd I'd bring it up. But you know, the, you know, the thing is, man, like I, I know in my heart of hearts that, you know, if if we had a, a situation where Zach was directing, you were behind the camera, Vinny and I were acting um, and maybe running some producial stuff. Mm-hmm. If they handed us a million dollars, I know that we would do something amazing with it because we're talented. The um, and I think and I think that just what's come down to is is passion, dedic- you know, passion, dedication and and also, you know, talent. You have to have a little bit of talent. Like, right. yeah, 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 don't get me wrong. Like, you know, you can be, you have to have work ethic and you have to have good work because there's a shit ton of talented people out there. You know, you know, the most talented place you can ever visit is the graveyard um, uh, because there's a bunch of fucking people there with talent that never used it. But also, too, you kind of have to have it, though. You kind of have to have a little bit of talent. You have you have to have some skills and some, some craft and, and you have to have something that... Right. You have to have a, a little something that 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 other people don't have. You know, there, there's some mathematicians out there that have a little something that I just do not, or basketball players that have a little something that you know that I do not. I happen to have a creative mind streak. You know, I, I can think creatively. It's a, a talent given by the universe, by God, whatever. Um, but it's only complemented by a work ethic and a passion. Yeah for what I do, um, uh, you know, oh, without, yeah. the, without the passion and the work ethic, it would be nothing. Um, but you, but at the end of the day though, you know, I know it's, this is not what everybody wants to hear because a lot of people are like, Oh, well you can do anything if you try hard enough, which is true to an extent. But, but if you had, if you had a matchup of two people who were just as dedicated and just as passionate, the person with it, the person with the talent's going to win. Oh Yeah. Because they have, because they have that slight edge over the person, and there's just some people, man, that are just good at this, and there's just some people that are not, um, right. and you know, and 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 hard work and passion, um, uh, you know, will take you extremely far, but if it's if it's a it's if it's a duel to the death between those two people, the person with the talent's gonna win, and just it just is what it is, so, um, so, but again. You know, again, and I put it, and I put it um, that the people that are on this call right now would do something amazing with that million dollars. But I know we'd do something amazing with we're doing something amazing for free right now because um, we're we're just that fucking talented. Um, uh, <laughs> and that broke. And the and that broke. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Man, it is. 
Uh, sad but true. The um, uh, but uh, but yeah, man. The um, uh, no, I, I'm glad I was able to provide something thought provoking. Um, I'll, I'll I'll try to do that again next time. The yeah. uh, yay! I'll make Brent make Brandon had a brain freeze. Um, uh, the uh, so uh, so so Vinny. Um, uh, we this is where we usually wrap it up, brother. Any any final thoughts? Final thoughts. <laughs> final thought. I think it's just kind of cool. I I mean I think it's um the grindhouse thing definitely has become a not that i'm gonna sit there and say it's a it's a genre of great films but it's definitely become one of significant and fun enjoyable ones to me and um and i'm glad talking about it was kind of able to put us into this other thought too just about like quality of a film and quality in this kind of stuff dealing with budget, dealing with the filmmakers themselves, and kind of encompasses uh, all that. Ooh, it's a big word, encompasses it. It encompasses it. Too <laughs> <laughs> many big words. Mark, the, what are your final thoughts? English minor in me, it, it encompasses it. <laughs> um, uh, it, it was definitely fun. Um, uh, I got introduced to a, uh, a genre um, that I didn't want normally watch. Um uh, <laughs> And I had fun. Uh, I, I don't want to say I had. I had way more fun talking about it with you guys than I did actually watching the movie. Um, uh, but I, I. But but now but now I've I've been more interested to you know catch a few more of these because I think um, uh, you know I, I want to do a little bit more exploring with the genre now. Now that you guys have talked about a few of these films, like I'm like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna check this out. You know I'm gonna see what else is going on because it sounds cool. Um, it sounds like an enjoyable experience. So, um, uh, and, and it was fun talking about budgets. You know, I, 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 I'm one that speaks very passionately about the, you know, how the Hollywood system could be doing it better. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's, um, uh, you know, and I, and I like to bring everybody down to earth when it comes to budgets and what we do, what we all want to do for a living. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's just a business. Um, it's nothing too crazy complicated beyond that. Um, uh, yes, it is a creative business and there is a, you know, more to it, but it's not that much more. Um, uh, you know, I, and that's not a discount towards anybody in this, in this industry. Um, uh, it, it takes incredible talent, hard work and dedication, um, uh, to do what we do, but it isn't also, it's not, it's not this crazy myth, mythic thing that most people think it is. But um, but I but on final final thought, um, I wanted to thank Vinny for for joining and hanging out with us today, um, uh, and bullshitting about uh, Grindhouse. This was your your <laughs> choice, sir. Um, uh, you know, Brandon and I have talked on a couple of occasions and said, hey, how much we love having guests on. And actually, it's kind of cool now because now we've had a lot of people that were interviewees come back for other things, and I'm having our friends hang out um, uh, with us and talk about movies. I hope. It is a tradition that continues on this podcast um, because it's one I, I thoroughly enjoy um, uh, just as much as I love doing podcasts with the rest of the guys. So, so thank you, brother. I really appreciate you, man. Thank you. Since the last time you were on, um, I wasn't here. Uh, yeah, that's right. And then now Zach's not, not here. Zach's not here. So <laughs> we're bound to have you on at some point when all of us are here. Right. Um, but yeah, real quick. We're my all there. We were all there for Crawl. We were all there. Oh, yeah, we were all there. But that wasn't a podcast. That was a review. True. Oh, my God. I forgot. I totally forgot about that. That was fun. Yeah. That's fun. That's, that was uh, fun. Look that at is me. Uh, no, so right. quick, though. Uh, Grindhouse. 
though there are very few great movies to come from Grindhouse, <laughs> I do think they have inspired quite a few great movies. And we haven't, we didn't really sure. delve too much into the overlaying influence of Grindhouse, but um, they have definitely influenced some great movies. Sure. Um, before we say our goodbyes, uh, Vinny, is there any social media or upcoming projects that you would like to plug? Um, I am working on a script right now, um, for the very most, and I'm hoping it's going to be something to present, uh, to you all down the line, something very, uh, it's, it's very in the works. It's in its writing. Writing's happening. Um, I finally figured out Celtics, so, <laughs> and everything. Thanks to Mark. And, uh, you got it, buddy. And yeah, hopefully we got that. Um, and now I got a chance to get the, um, that uh what was i calling it the midnight vault concept finally in a proper format to represent hopefully nice nice oh let's survive this quarantine yeah so, so. yeah I, I can't wait till we can all record yeah. together in person yeah because i am talking a lot slower over skype because i want to yep. make sure i don't talk over people too much same uh, yeah, for sure well, yeah, so, yeah, Vinny, thank you once again for being thank on you. the Nightmares podcast with us. Thank you so much um, for having me on. Meantime, for our listeners, you can follow us at Midwest Horror Network on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Slasher. <laughs> um, and you can also find us on Spotify under the, yes. under the um, uh, Nightmares podcast. Um, and then we do have a few opportunities for you to donate to the, uh, to the podcast as well. Brandon, you want to talk about that real quick? Uh, yes, on Anchor, you can help support us, help support this podcast. Any, every dollar, cent, whatever we make from that goes right back into our content. Um, we realize right now with the quarantine and the massive layoffs happening, uh, money is very tight. Um, so please make sure you take care of yourself before you give money to not just us, but any creative endeavor. Um, however, in lieu of any donation, uh, likes, shares, subscribes, com positive comments, those are all great free <laughs> ways to support any creative uh, person or company that you want to support at a difficult time like this. Absolutely, and actually, if you have a and if you have a genre of uh, of uh, horror movies that you want us to go over, or if we've had an inter interview in the past that you want to have back um, uh, for us to chat with, uh, we did that with Rob um, for Stephen King movies. Go ahead and check out that podcast. Um, uh, you know, or if you want to have Vinny uh, come back and talk about whatever, um, uh, you know, give it a little a uh, little comment down in the bottom, and we'll be more than happy to. Uh, respond and then obviously too um if you are a uh, midwest um independent filmmaker uh give us a message let, let, let us know what you're up to we always love to hear what's going on in the you know keep our ears to the sidewalk and uh you know know what's going on in the different communities not just in chicago or where are we at but we'd love to hear from people from detroit and milwaukee indianapolis um uh and so on so so please let us know what, what anywhere you're in the country to. really and that, that works too anywhere in the country obviously we're our midwest but we are still um a midwest we have United States. amount of east coast interviewees yes we have yes we have and they were just as great 
the uh so so yeah so please uh, please um uh you know definitely reach out to us we would love to hear from you um and then of course i am mark uh from midwars podcast um and i'm with um my uh, i'm sorry not midwest podcast the living nightmares podcast um and i'm of course with uh vinnie and brandon thank you very much y'all have a good evening bye-bye thank you